this year in the legislative session, you know, we had 10 or more really bad bills. Thankfully, most of them died. But if they had gone through, they would have required every person in California that is employed, contractor, whatever, to get the COVID vaccine. They would have required every K through 12, actually daycare through 12th grader to get the vaccine. They would have required law enforcement to not uh, to enforce public health measures, which is not part of law enforcement's job. Um, they would have allowed doctors or allowed the medical board to bypass a subpoena and get your medical records. Um, they would have, you know, I mean, it goes on and on. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today's guest is Christina Hildebrandt. Christina is the founder and president of A Voice for Choice Advocacy, which educates and advocates for people's rights to be fully informed about the composition, quality, short and long-term health effects of all products that go into people's bodies, such as food, water, air, pharmaceuticals, and cosmetics. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcast. Your opinions matter and your ratings help us to grow and help more people to be healthy, find freedom of body and mind, and to live their dreams. And now here is Paul talking with Christina about effective activism. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, we are going to have a fantastic conversation that's very needed on effective activism. And I don't think I need to explain why that is. My guest today is a very interesting, highly intelligent woman, Christina Hildebrand, who is, Christina, are you the founder of A Voice for Choice Advocacy? I am. I'm the founder and president. Right on. So Christina's website, which everybody needs to go to and look at, is a voice for choice advocacy.org, all stuck together like a URL address. And I just wanted to share that I first became aware of Christina's work because Angie is always monitoring these different websites. And there's been a few times where she came to me and goes, you got to look at this. Look what they're trying to do. This law, they're trying to pass these (laughs) dot, dot, dot people. Um, Christina wants us to sign this petition or, you know, tell people right away. And so um, I began to read and subscribe for Christina's newsletters through her website. And I, one thing I want to say, Christina, is thank you for what you're doing, because my God, I can't imagine what kind of crap they would have got away with if you had not been keeping your <laughs> eye on this stuff. Yeah, that's, we definitely keep them on their toes and make sure that we're, uh, we're watching them. So yes. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really interesting, too, because, um, you know, I was talking to Angie, and I said, like, is, is this woman a lawyer? What does she do? And and she says, I don't know what she does, but I know she's highly intelligent. And I'm sure as how glad she's doing this, where we would probably all be forced into vaccinations and concentration camps and other sh- other shit they <laughs> tried to get away with. And so, you know, Angie's a highly educated, highly intelligent woman. So when she says that she really respects your knowledge, you, you have a big, huge well, thank her and, for me. <laughs> yeah, I will. She'll be listening to this podcast for sure. So b- with that 
preface, Christina, can you share your background and what led you to being such a powerful activist and starting a Voice for Choice advocacy? Yes. So it it started probably about 10 years ago now. That's not when I actually got into this, but um, so I should start with, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a doctor. Many people think I am because of the knowledge I have. I read avidly and I will say I read both sides. So I read uh, the the pro side as much as I read our side, you know, whatever, whatever issue that's on. Um, about 10 years ago, and actually longer than that now, 15 years ago, uh, there was a local farm. I, I have many jobs. <laughs> One of them is I have a food delivery service in the San Francisco Bay Area, and we deliver organic and, and raw food. And so there was a raw milk dairy, goat dairy, that we were delivering for. And the big dairy basically came down on the local little farms and, and tried to get stuff passed through the legislature that would get rid of all of these small farms and herd shares. And at that point, I was like, okay, this is, you know, I'm involved in it from a business perspective, and I really want to create a nonprofit sometime in the future, like when I retire in 20, 30 years. <laughs> and I kind of put that aside and was just like, you know, I'd really like for people to know what goes into their food, what is the background and what the government is trying to do to crack down on all of these different areas and have more control and have big pharma, big ag, um, you know, really just dominate in the space. So come 2015, I actually let's step back to 2012, 13. Assemblymember Penn at the time put through a bill that said if your children are not vaccinated and have a personal belief exemption, you have to go to the doctor and get a letter signed. You have to have a conversation about the risks and the benefits with your doctor. Now, my children are not vaccinated, and I saw that bill. I had a one-year-old and a four-year-old at that point. I saw that bill and I thought, oh, that's no problem. I've had those conversations with our doctor. You know, I'm sure our doctor will sign the piece of paper. No problem. My kids can go into school. And that was the end of it. I didn't even think about, you know, that that, that was the first step <laughs> to many, many steps. So come 2015, the SB 277 was introduced by then Senator Penn. And it would remove the personal belief exemption from school vaccinations. So in California, prior to 2015 or 2016, you could go to school and you either had to show your vaccination card and be fully up to date with vaccinations, or you could have a medical exemption or a personal belief exemption. And the religious exemption fell underneath the personal belief exemption. And so he brought this bill forward that would remove the personal belief exemption. So all that was left was the medical exemption. And at that point, I was like, whoa, hang on a second. That means my kids can't go to school here in California if they're not vaccinated. And I didn't have any plans of vaccinating them. So I you know, got organized with lots of different people. There were thousands of people that went up to the Sacramento Capitol. And at that point, I was quite happy just being the one person you know, standing in the crowd. And what we realized after, or what I realized after the first hearing was that there were literally thousands. They had never seen anything like this in the Sacramento Capitol. And we walked away and they passed the bill through the committee. And it was like, whoa, they're not even listening. Like they're really not listening. And so I started talking to people. Uh, Washington State and Oregon had killed their similar bill. And then uh, Illinois was passing a similar bill. 
And I, so I called people and I was just like, you know, we got to do something here. So I talked to various people in those states, in other states at NBIC, the National Vaccine Information Center, who was one of the groups that had been doing this for a long, long time. And their answer was, you need a lobbyist. And I was just like, okay, everything I know about lobbyists is that they're just you know, the, the bottom of the barrel kind of thing. Like, why would I have to pay a lobbyist when we have thousands of people, thousands of constituents from California complaining about this bill? But what I realized in the second hearing was that we needed a lobbyist because Senator Pan did not have the votes in the second hearing. And we were all sitting there on the edge of our seats saying, oh my gosh, we're going to beat this. We're going to beat this. We're going to beat this. And then the chair of the committee turned to Senator Pan and said, you don't have the votes today. Would you like to hold off voting on this bill and come back next week and vote on it? And we all sat there and we're just like, well, hang on a second. How do you do that? So he, of course, said yes. We all got up. We went home and he spent the next five business days basically horse trading in the Capitol, making sure that he had the votes. He came back the next week and they voted on it and they, it passed. And at that point, I realized we just have no idea how this building works. We just don't know. And I you know, you hear it from my accent. I grew up in England. I know how the English political system works. I don't know, you know very much about the US political system. And so at that point, something called me. Uh, and was just like, you need to get more involved. You need to take this on. And so we ended up, I ended up creating a voice for choice advocacy, uh, and we ended up hiring a lobbyist, um, that unfortunately by that time it was, the bill was going into the other house and it was sort of too little too late, but it definitely made a difference. I mean, we got into offices, we had meetings, we, we knew what was going on behind the closed doors. I, my lobbyists know this, that I, I say it all the time. I hate having to have a lobbyist. I think the the people's voice should be able to be heard, but it very rarely is. Um, we're getting better at it. I will say, you know, we've, this is, it's been seven years and we are getting better at it. So I created a voice for choice advocacy for the purpose of having a lobbyist, but our mission is much, much bigger than the vaccine issue. So our, our mission statement is to educate and advocate for informed choice and transparency of what goes into your body, whether that's food, air, water, pharmaceuticals, you know, whatever it is, we want you to be aware of it. And then you get to choose whether you put that in your body or not. And most things we, we say, you know, you can choose, but there are certain issues um, like toxic issues, you know, toxic products like pesticides or, you know, P PFAS, PFS, PA, PFAS, um, that, that are, you know, plastics and stuff like that, that we do take a hard stand on and say, no, we don't want this in these in our um, products. And since 2015, we had another bill, 2019, uh, that tightened up the medical exemption and was, was terrible. Um, and then in 2020, we actually, a voice for choice advocacy actually had a bill that we got passed in the California legislature, which labels all, uh, feminine hygiene menstrual products uh, with their ingredients because those they're considered devices and not uh, products. And so the FDA doesn't require ingredients. So that was one win that we had that we moved it a bill the whole way through the legislative process and had Governor Newsom sign it. So th those are our you know, overall goals of the, of the organization. Uh, we've been extremely active this year because we had 10 plus bad bills introduced this year. Thankfully, most of them died completely. Some, many of them got amended. Um, 
And so, but we're still, you know, this is the last, we're in the last stretch where the governor has to sign or veto the bills. And so we're pushing to to have at least four of them vetoed. Well, what you just said about him signing that bill with regard to the pro- uh, products that affect women's menstruation is the first and only thing I've ever heard of Governor Newsom doing that has any common sense or rationale <laughs> or that it isn't bordering on seriously criminal behavior. Yes. Well, so I will say there are many bills. So there are, for example, we supported this year, we supported four or five bills and, and we supported five and four of them have made it through to his desk, which are similar bills, which ensure that, you know, chemicals, he's, he is quite open to chemicals not being included in things or, uh, having things labeled, that type of thing. Um, but you don't hear about those things because, you know, the, the egregious stuff is what's, what takes up most of our time and our, our effort and our, you know, our mental space. (laughs) Well, paradoxically, you're saying that he is good about chemicals, but he's ruthless with vaccines, which are full of dangerous chemicals and all sorts of other. Well, and that was the funny part of the bill that we brought forward. So this bill to label ingredients on menstrual products was a bill that was passed in New York state the year before. And so I said to our lobbyists, I want that to be passed in California. And the key purpose of it was so that we could have a conversation about my body, my choice, about ingredients, and and that you should be aware of what ingredients are going into your into or on your body, and that you are allowed to choose whether you do that or not. You know whether whether you take those things in or not. And so those were our talking points. And the the funny thing, the sad thing was. All of the Democrats that, you know, a year earlier, we would have the exact same conversation, but with the word vaccine in, they didn't want to hear it. When we put the word menstrual products in, everyone was like, oh, yeah, 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 we're we're supporting that bill. No problem. We're supporting that bill. And I was just like, this is crazy. This is crazy that you are, are supporting a bill that if I came to you and said the exact same word, literally the exact same words with the word vaccine in there, you would have a completely different stance on it. But it was the pur- one of the purposes of that bill. I mean, clearly, we, we wanted the bill passed for, for the real reason of, of getting the, the ingredients on those products. But one of the other reasons was to be able to have an open conversation about my body, my choice, choosing ingredients, knowing what's in a product, those types of things. And so we were successful with that. And I do believe that opened the doors to having more open conversations as well as COVID um, about vaccines and and the reality of vaccines. It's interesting too, because there's not only a lot of empirical evidence from doctors and people, women all over the world, but there's scientific evidence showing that COVID vaccines go right after the sex organs, particularly the women's sex organs, but men's too. And, uh, you know, it's just the whole you know, I say to people, we don't have a government anymore. The White House is a corporate headquarters. It has nothing to do with being a government for the people, by the people. And, you know, Adam Smith, who's known to be the first economist, warned all the way back in the late 1700s, you cannot let big business get inside a government. He said, every time I go to meetings with big businessmen, the only conversation is how can we get more money out of people with absolutely no concern for the impact it has on their lives. Yes. And so the two things he warned about in government were religion and big business. And in 
now we have big business that uses religion as a tool to manipulate people's votes and minds. Um, one of the questions that came up while you were talking is, I've heard different opinions on this, but I want to hear yours. Is it even worth the time to sign all these petitions that are coming in email after email after email? Because you've just described going there with a thousand people and basically being ignored. So is anybody even looking at these petitions? Yeah. So there are more effective and less effective ways of advocating or being an activist. And, you know, this is this is the point of this podcast, I think, in, 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 in summary. But I think the so petitions really don't do very much when you sign a petition, especially if it's, for example, a change.org petition or one of those that's put out by a mass uh, company. I mean, people, individuals are putting them out, but they're using these these mass uh, companies to do it. Those you're literally signing and they will take those somewhere, but it it's not very effective. I mean, we to tell you how ineffective it is, in 2015, we had 80,000 signatures on a petition that we gave to the governor and the governor still signed SB 277. So there is, you know, an 80,000 is a lot of people from the perspective of a petition. You know, we have to keep it in perspective here in California, we're 40 million people. So it's it still is quite a large ratio but it's it's you know realistically a drop in the back bucket from from the perspective of how many people there are in in California. Um, I would say the the place where we have had the most efficacy is actually people building relationships with their legislators, with their council members, with their board of supervisors, and we should in in this conversation we'll talk about you know different levels of of government because. You know, you've got, we don't deal with the federal government. Um, we, things move very slowly there, but oh, when yeah. they have a bill package, the problem in, with the federal government is that it is, it, it's a bill and then it has all these riders on it and all the riders are the, are the crap, basically the, the interests, the, the people that you're talking about, those corporate interests are on all of those riders. And so you know, getting involved on a federal level, there aren't as many bills and they don't make as much of a difference as the state legislature and even the, the local county level. Um, that's where we really see see impact on people's daily lives. The more local you get, the more it's impacting your daily life. So from a from a legislative perspective, we look at the Sac, you know, we're in Sacramento, we're, we're in California. This does apply across the US. And I would say, you know, if you're listening to this and you're not in California, there are organizations that are for health rights, medical freedom, vaccine choice. They, one of those words, if you search your state and those words, you will find them. If you don't find them or if you, you're not sure, definitely, you know, feel free to email me and I can get you in touch with your local state organization. But from a state level at the capital, whatever capital it is, those conversations are much more conversations are most effective. So when you are having relationships with your legislators, with your with their staffers, and their staffers are really important because the staff stays around. There's staff in that building that's been there for 40 years, even though the legislators have have you know churned. So personal conversations going to town hall meetings, going and meeting your legislators. At this point, meeting those that are going up in the election are, is really important and working out who is it that you want to you want to vote for. But that's most effective. Then the second level is phone calls, emails, 
personalized and personalized, you know, letters, postcards, something snail mail. Those are more effective than petitions. I would put sort of petitions at the at the bottom of the barrel um, of, of what's effective. Uh, and I would say that's, you know, and, and giving public comment. So in, in on the state level, you can come, you can give public comment. It's not very effective because you have main testimony witnesses and then all they allow you to say here in this state is your name, your affiliation, and and whether you're for or against the bill. That There are many flaws in California in our legislature, you know, in our, in uh, Colorado, they each get three minutes. Every single person gets three minutes to talk. And they had a vaccine bill there uh, last year or two years ago, two years ago. Um, and everyone got to speak for three minutes and it went till two, three in the morning, which is amazing when you get to hear all of those people's stories. Here in California, we don't have that. But at a local level, at your county supervisor, your board of supervisor meetings, your school board meetings, your city council meetings, they always have at least three to five minutes where you can give public comment. And that's a really effective time to to do that, especially if you show up every single time, because it means that they know you're watching you. They know who you are. You can have conversations. You can't have conversations when you're giving public comment, but you can have conversations with them afterwards. So here's a, a question I didn't plan on asking you, but I'm going to do it either for entertainment or for education. What do you do in a situation like we have now where you're faced with what's probably going to be a choice between one criminal named Trump and another one named Biden to vote for? So <laughs> on the presidential level, I think it's really, really hard. I think what we saw, what was evidently obvious to me in the Trump administration, going in with Trump, whether you like Trump or not, going in with Trump, he was a different type of person, right? Different personality, wanted different things done. And it was clear in four years, he got very little done, right? from From a larger perspective of the ideology of what he wanted to get done to what he actually got done. And so to me, it became, I knew this before that, but it became really evident to me that the president is a puppet. The, oh, absolutely. The, the, the people running that building are the people that are still running that building, regardless of whoever the president is. And even a president that wants to come in and change things cannot do it because of the infrastructure there. And it just, you know, to me, it's, it is, it is just clear that, you know, we're voting for a president and does it make a smidgen of a difference? Maybe, you know, it may lean it one way or the other, but realistically, unfortunately, I feel that the the president of the United States is not where we need to focus because it doesn't really matter who's there. It's it's bad either way. <laughs> who, who do you think is actually running things? I mean, I have looked into this myself, but I'm curious on your opinion. You know, I think it's core. I think it's. I think there is an inner circle of actual staff, but I think they are heavily influenced by corporate corporate business. I mean, it, it goes to what you said at the very beginning. I I truly believe the interests are there. I mean, you look at the lobbying money alone. Uh, you know, going into going into the the leg- the federal legislature um, is is just huge. It's you know there, there are two pharmaceutical lobbyists for every member of Congress and the the House of Representatives. Two for each individual one. 
Um, you know, that's it's, a disease. It's, it, it's, it's when you have that many and the amount of money, I mean, it's, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars every year. When you have that amount of money influencing legislation, influencing the, you know, the president, influencing the staff, they're, they're bored. You know, they're, oh, yeah. you can't say they're not bored because the, it's, it's obvious. I mean, that's just, that's just what's reported. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's, you know, to me, it, it is, it, it to me i get really upset and down and just like what the heck is our country all about and that's where i go back to you have to look after yourself and yourself starts with your family and with your local area your local place and that's where you know the city council the the board of supervisors your county board of supervisors especially in california is probably the most influential in what happens in your county. We saw that during COVID. If if you lived in a county that was ruled by, you know, progressive board of supervisors, you had all the mask mandates, all the vaccine mandates, all the, you know, everything locked down, shut down, all the rest of it. If you lived in a in a county that had a more conservative uh, board of supervisors, stuff was open. You didn't have to wear masks, even with the mask guidelines. They just didn't enforce it, that type of thing. So it really, your board of supervisors and your board of supervisors is also the one that hires and fires your health director. And here in California in 2019, we had a bill, AB 262, which was passed that gave health officers, your county health officer, they could take any and all action against a potential endemic. So not even a pandemic. You just needed to have the potential to have three people get something and they can put in whatever measures they want. And so during COVID, your health officer was the one that was deciding what was going on. Your health officer, as I said, is hired and fired by your board of supervisors. So that that piece, and you know, when I look at our ballot coming up in, in November, the most important people are your board of supervisors, your city council, your school boards, uh, those types of things, because they make the difference on a local level. You can't, you can't, influencing what happens on a federal level is really, really hard. Influencing what happens on a local level is much, much easier. How many of these health supervisors or whatever you call them, advisors, have any real medical knowledge or training versus just being a person so stuck of, in that position. They all are. Uh, they have to, as part of the job, either be an MD, DO, or uh, have a master's in public health. Okay. So, but, you know, I, I would argue that what you learn in medical school and what you learn in the public health, you know, a master's of public health isn't really um, uh, actionable or, or, you know, real world, so to speak. So, you know, I, I, I would not say that any of them, and I don't know that any of them, I don't know where they would get this experience. They have it now after COVID, but, you know, pre-COVID, I don't think any of them had the experience they needed in order to, you know, work out really what, what, how to deal with a pandemic. Well, or even if, if it was true, or uh, if it was, you know, all the other things that there's tons of research now showing that it, it was and is. 
Hi, everybody. You know, sometimes I've been hard on the fitness industry over the years. It's not because I think personal trainers are terrible. On the contrary, I think trainers can have a massive impact on the health and well-being of their clients when they're effectively educated. I think their impact is far greater than most doctors, actually. But that's the challenge, teaching trainers to live up to that potential, and that's where the industry has failed them. Today, most personal trainer certifications are given through minimal training with multiple choice tests, so there isn't any hands-on training or mentoring. They are also frequently taught by instructors that have little to no understanding of the integrated holistic function of the body or how diet, lifestyle, and past injuries must be assessed to determine the readiness of any individual for exercise, particularly when resistance training is being used or functional exercise and the speeds of movement that are classically considered to be within the range of power movements. All exercise professionals should be taught to thoroughly assess their clients for red flags such as spinal disc injuries, postural and range of motion limitations, muscle imbalance syndromes, indications of neurological compromise, and their capacity to perform the seven primal movements that we all need to do effectively in any homework or sporting environment, which are squatting, lunging, bending, pushing, pulling, twisting, and gait, which is walking. And that's exactly what we offer through the Czech Institute. We teach you to design holistic programs that account for each individual client's specific needs, abilities, and goals, and give you the skills to make sure your client can safely perform the exercises they need. We also teach you how to skillfully progress each client from where they're at to where they desire to be so they can fulfill their dreams, be they athletic achievements, freedom from pain, or the ability to do their work without limitation. Check trained professionals are not taught to tell people what to do, but are taught and encouraged to lead by example. When we are the living examples of what we teach, there's no need to worry about forgetting things. You have the joy of teaching people how you remain fit, healthy, and vital each day. That's intelligent training which empowers each and every client to achieve their healthy goals. If you're a personal trainer or if you want to be a personal trainer, I've created the online training program to help you maximize your impact on the world. Integrated Movement Science, Level 1 Online. This course will teach you everything you need to know to feel great about your work, skillfully evaluate your clients, design healthy, effective exercise programs, and know how to integrate holistic approaches to diet and lifestyle into your exercise programs so your clients aren't just fit, they can experience well-being. And you can do it no matter where you live in the world. Best of all, IMS One Online will be available this Black Friday, November 25th through 29th at up to 30% off. So if you really want to tap into your full potential as a personal trainer and build a rewarding career doing it, be sure to go to thecheckshop.com. That's thecheckshop, that's C-H-E-K shop, thecheckshop.com this Black Friday and pick up Integrated Movement Science Level 1 online. Enjoy. It's well known in drug research that very few of the drugs that manufacturers, drug makers try to get past can outperform a placebo test. Yep. And one of the ridiculous issues is that the FDA actually allows these drug manufacturers to do their own research. Yes. And I know for a fact that they do all sorts of trickery because a friend of mine's an FDA agent and he's busted many medical doctors for producing fake research that even ends up in major medical journals that are supposed to be double-blind controlled studies, but they were never done. And this is just going on all the time. So it's, it's, um, we've got this very, very sick system, but the point I'm making is when you look at the science 
of how to influence the human mind and how to condition the human mind. And you look at the science of brainwashing. And I used to be a soldier. I was a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division. So I went through advanced, basic and advanced military training. So I know how they mess with your head and what they're doing. And when all this COVID stuff hit, I'm like, this is just the same brainwashing tactics that are classically used. And you can look them up in any book on the topic. But the point I'm driving at is that when you look at the power of the placebo effect and the research on what happens if you use it negatively called the nocebo effect, it's just as powerful in reverse as it is moving toward a positive outcome. And, you know, nobody's ever published a statistical analysis looking at the rate of exposure to telling people they have a virus, telling people they're going to get sick, telling people they might die, you know, that in your face, constantly wearing masks, all this stuff. And what that does to produce the physiological and psychological symptoms of an illness or a disease. So we've got all these statistics on how many people got COVID, but we don't have any objective measure on how many people in the world would have gotten those exact symptoms based on placebo, nocebo research. And there's many, as you surely know, experts on psyops and people from big programs, people that were ex-CIA agents that have come forward and even Russian agents saying, you know, can't you see what's going on? This is a psyops operation. This is MKUltra done big. And so I'm just curious as to your thoughts. What what do you think the the potential impact of people turning up with symptoms that look like a viral infection are exactly what they were told they would get just by being programmed? So you you so I'm gonna I'm gonna take two steps back to something you said at the very beginning, and that is you know the the whole FDA approving drugs that are that are, the where the results are created in whatever fashion, by the pharmaceutical companies. That is 100% correct. And it, I think it is the most ridiculous thing ever. Like they're, the people selling the drugs, the people trying to get them passed through the FDA should not be the ones doing the research. It should be independent research with no financial impact from any part of that pharmaceutical industry. You know, it's, it's, you're basically, they're, they're paying for it. And, and so it's not surprising that drugs have you know, get through. Having said that, there are the number of drugs that actually fail to make it to market is humongous. Like it, there are, I don't remember what the exact percentage, but it's a very small percentage that actually make it to to the market of the drugs that these companies start off with. So um, I don't know what that what that says about it. Coming back to the nocebo placebo effect, I mean, it, it's a known effect. I, I, you know, I, I do. I think there are some people that got this because of that. Possibly. I mean, it. I, I will, you know, I, I'm not a scientist. I can't tell you what that number would be. You know, to me, it 100% was brainwashing and fear, fear, fear. And fear is the greatest uh, emotion that, you know, it, that will impact your, your life and how you see things. And so to me, you know, when we when we looked at the beginning of COVID, and you know, you watched the videos from China where people were just falling over. You saw the p- pictures of the wards in Italy, which were just jam packed full, and they couldn't get enough ventilators. I mean, that fear propaganda, and then you know, 
the the counts on you know, I don't watch mainstream TV, but every now and then I'm in a hotel and I'll turn it on just to watch it for fun and and see you know I I go through all of the all of the channels just to see what everyone's saying. Um, but you know the the fear of like those case numbers and the number of deaths and the you know different states and this and that and you know it, it is that fear mongering is is probably I think greater than any placebo nocebo effect well i guess it i mean it's interrelated what, what you're saying but but to me i'm not sure that people got those symptoms i'm sure there were some people i'm i'm a heavy believer that you know i mean if i tell you you know you've got lice in your hair you, you don't have any hair but i do but if you <laughs> if you tell somebody oh there's lice going around you know immediately it's like oh my god my head's starting to itch um you know those types of things does your head really itch no your head doesn't itch um you know, those types of, that's a very, very basic version of what you're saying. Do I think there are some people? Yeah, sure. I think there are some people, but I think, you know, to me, it, it was, it probably also has to do with the dampening of the immune system because, and I'm, you know, I'm not a doctor, but the dampening of the immune system, when you are in that flight or fear, you know, fight or flight stage, your immune system is not working at its best. It's, no. you know, you're, you're, in a state of, of flux and you're in a state of, of, you know, adrenaline and all the rest of the bad stuff, cortisol, you know, all of that bad stuff that's in your body, not doing well. And so to me, that piece of it is probably more concerning than, than any placebo nocebo effect. I think there is that effect, but I think that to me was, is where I, you know, just seeing people so scared, the other piece is, you know, the whole isolation the not being allowed to see people, not being allowed to hug people, you know, not being, especially the elderly, you know, all of those things to me were, were part of that whole process, but it absolutely was, you know, I look at propaganda and I, I've spent, since I've gone into activism and I spent a lot of time, I, I always found it fascinating, but I've spent more time reading, you know, the basics of propaganda and from the very, very beginning and, you know, the, the Nazi regime, um, and how how Hitler just this propaganda machine that he created to put people into fear and and live in that fear and and that's what made them you know basically coerced into doing what they did and to me that piece of it is fascinating and 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 I think that's the scary piece of this whole thing of where we went for the last two three years is that we were in such a fear based place that really doesn't nobody or very few people you and I but and probably your listeners here but the majority of the population just doesn't understand what what happened to them well they also don't have enough discernment to differentiate propaganda from from science and yeah. fact and even empirical evidence and unfortunately too many people use the television as their source of truth which is about as dangerous as all get out you know, a, a question I have for you that I think is an important one is, isn't it a bit concerning to you that we have this level of manipulation, greed, and criminality at all levels of government and corporations? I mean, it seems yes. to me that the, <laughs> the human race is, is degenerating I mean, we've had religion on this planet for thousands of years, which is supposed to teach morals, virtues, and ethics. 
yet, you know, here I was eight years old sitting in a Christian church being told that God loves you, but that God will burn you in hell. And then singing onward Christian soldiers marching off to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. And my eight-year-old mind is like, what the hell is going on? I mean, how can God love you and burn you in hell? And how can you supposed to be loving thy enemy as thyself? But now you're saying Jesus is marching off to war. And I, you know, so I started asking questions like this and got very unfavorable reactions. And, uh, you know, uh, sure. and, 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 and so I begin to be very concerned about adults and I actually begin to be uh, scared as to what I must have done so terribly wrong to end up on a planet where people are so completely gullible and lost and confused and can't answer questions for an eight-year-old boy. I'm just <laughs> curious, you know, what what is it? What sits inside of you when you look at all of this? I mean, it's pretty it's pretty rampant worldwide, and it's not just at big levels. I mean, I'm you know we have a 14 acre property, a farm, and we have to have construction companies and contractors and we're getting ripped off and manipulated and it's like forever we're just we practically want to kiss the feet of anybody that comes and actually does what we pay them to do because (laughs) it's so rare i mean what do you what's your take on this well so i'm going to start it off with you and i live in california california is a very different place than much of the rest of the u.s and i've traveled a lot especially during the last two years and and it's different. I'm not going to say it's better or worse, but there are, you know, there are in other places, it's much slower. Things happen at a lot slower pace and getting anything done. They do it and they, you get what you paid for and it's wonderful, but it's a much slower pace. It doesn't work, happen for like four months. So here in California, I feel like we get stuff done quicker, but you get ripped off all the rest of it. So I think there's, you know, there's different levels of it, but coming back to your, you know, your broad question of what, what is it that, I mean, is there all this corruption? The answer is yes, absolutely. Um, I see it as, um, and I have a great friend of mine, Vin Armani, um, and he did this video on, um, it's it's a, a summary of videos or a number of videos um, called The Ascendant Project. And he's specifically in that project, it's, it's older now, but he talks about the cycle of um, different different periods of our, of our world uh, over the, you know, over the centuries. And how we, they go from a people uh, oriented, you know, uh, time to a warrior time to a uh, sort of uh, middle class, which is more sort of teachers and economists and that kind of thing to a higher level class, which is sort of in olden times, it was emperors, kings, queens, that type of thing. And and the ruling party, what I see that now is sort of this corporate greed, this huge, you know, the, the, the elite, basically, that rule over. And when that happens in history, and it, you know, you take the Roman Empire, you take the British Empire, you take, you know, anytime, even within a country, you see these cycles. And after when these elites come in, at some point, the people take over and you go back to a people based uh, time. And to me, we're at that, we're, we're at that crux. Yeah. Um, I, I think we are at a place where there is and and you know, COVID exacerbated it and made it so obvious that we are in a time of global uh, lockdown uh, and tyranny. But, but the fact that, you know, within a day, 
all these countries said exactly the same thing, the same words. And the next day they're coming out with the same different, but the same words. And it's like, okay, there is clearly a bigger picture that we don't know. And that is complete sort of this corruption, tyranny, this, this, but it's the elites that are, that are ruling. It is, it's, it's terrible. And it's why, you know, what I said before, when I come down to it, I can't spend too much time there and I come back to what do I need to do for my family? What do I need to do to live this life as much as I can, as best as I can for me and my family? And then I go outside of that. Now, I'm an activist and I spend 80 hours a week, you know, on on activism and this thing because that's my passion. That's my joy. That's what I do. But for, Thank you. for, for, you're welcome, uh, for a regular person that, you know, isn't into that, my, you've got to start with your family and making sure that they are safe, that they have food, that they have water, that, you know, and I mean, clean food, clean water, yeah, <laughs> you know, real food, education yeah. that you are okay with, which, you know, may not mean public schools, um, those types of things, and then go out from there. But it, it, you know, my perspective, and, and I, do sit in the activism world. So I sit in the Sacramento world, in the local activism world. But I also will always tell people, you know, you need to fight that because you need to keep them in check as much as we can. You need to show up. You need to make sure that they're not overreaching or trying to stop the overreach. But you also have to realize that where we get out of this and how we get out of this is creating a system that is outside that system, in my perspective. Yeah, I agree. Healthcare, that includes finances, that includes education, that includes, you know, uh, food security, water security. We have to, um, you know, find a space, each of us individually, but collectively as well to find something that take that we can have that life outside of their system because that's where we become most powerful. We become most powerful when we're say self-sustainable and we don't need their government. Um you know, it's hard because the government is what has all the rules and regulations and laws and all of that. But at the same time, you know, I do I do feel that where the where the toppling of that elite comes because I do see it coming. They can't, they can't sustain this. I mean, we've seen in COVID, they've made mistakes. They've, you know, it, it just can't be sustained. Um, but where it comes, I think is, is by us creating a new system outside of the system. Well, I was grateful to see that Mickey Willis's and who Mickey Willis is a friend of mine, his pandemic videos got over 2 billion views. So yes. when I saw that, okay, at least I know there's some people even if they don't believe it, they're they're looking at the opposite side. And then the other great savior was Mickey Willis's and Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s books on on Anthony Fauci, which I think, you know, slayed the dragon beautifully and and yeah. watching Unfortunately not as many people I would love them to make those into a movie or something, because unfortunately in this day and age people, people don't read. We'll get through we'll get through either of those books. Yeah, it's true. Uh, the fact that they both made it to number one bestsellers is a good sign because even if even if they bought the book and they read the cover information, they there there is a question. There's a question mark, yes. and um, yeah, I, I really believe that we're going through a, a major transition, and I think we're also in in a mythical transition. You know, I don't know if you've studied myth much, but mm -hmm. you know. Conscious or unconscious, it's the myth of a people that guides their beliefs, their behaviors, and how they interact with each other and their 
apparent enemies. And really, myths are, are um, how we make meaning out of out of our experience. And Joseph Campbell, Carl Jung, and many warned experts said, uh, whenever there's a mythical transition, it's extremely dangerous. And what happens is isms pop up like crazy. And Nazism was what Jung and Joseph Campbell both pointed to as direct examples of a the beginning of a breakdown of a cultural myth which includes Judeo-Christian mythology. Um, and those religions are slowly, slowly declining, ex- except unfortunately in the um, Eastern countries and third world countries, they're on the rise, which is a paradox to me because the Eastern religions are far more grounded and adult in nature than the Western religions. But my point being is, is that we're clearly in a mythical transition and and a new counter myth is going to emerge, but when the counter myth, which we, we could we could call holism, is there's going to be a period of clash, and and in that period, you know, there's there's definitely going to be fallout. Yes. And I, I, you know, what we've done is we've worked our backsides off since the day we moved into our new property two and a half years ago to make it fully sustainable. So we have our own energy, our own water. We've planted. Uh, over a hundred fruit and nut trees. We've got That's gardens. Funny. We've got chickens. We've got a pig. We're getting goats. We're, you know, we're we're basically setting it up, and 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 we have our kids in a Waldorf school, and we we found the only Waldorf school that actually moved the whole school outside so that there's no mask wearing, no matter what, even if it's raining or hot, the kids are out in the elements, and 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 I actually the kids love it. I talked to the teachers. They said no, the kids have no problem with it at all. Yeah, and um. So I think it, it's really a grassroots movement because we we have to actually get enough people to live holistically to demonstrate to the others that we are healthier, happier, more vibrant, more wholesome people. Because otherwise, it just becomes the meat what the media says versus your own perception of yourself. But you know, like my family, my 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 brothers and sisters, and and my mother and stepfather they're very divided this whole thing has many families that broke them right up you know and i'm i'm being called a quack by people in my family and and uh, you know criticized heavily for encouraging them uh not to be vaccinated and even though i put piles and piles of research for them they wouldn't even look at it and uh, and interestingly enough uh pretty much all of them are showing signs of serious health problems after being vaccinated and only now um, one of them has come around and said, I wish I would have listened to you. And, and I, look, this is what happened to me. And, you know, she had these nasty breakouts all over her skin and, and, and took her several doctors to finally get one to say, um, that's the side effect of the vaccines. And you're going to have to live with that for the rest of your life, which, yeah. which wow. did not make my sister happy at all. Um, so, so the point is, is at some point, even people that are diametrically opposed, if they see those of us that are living more grounded and more holistically, then the evidence becomes quite clear. And I think a combination of getting more and more of the real science out, people like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., even J.P. Sears, who I, I just had a pod, my, my current podcast is with J.P., who is a student of mine and instructor for my institute for seven oh, years. <laughs> yeah, J.P. started with me when he was 19. 
and uh, worked directly with me as my protege That's for great. five years and then became an instructor. Yeah. Um, so I think we're in a mythical transition. And I think it's very important for those of us that understand exactly what got you started, right? Attacking yep. the dairies. That's an old thing that's been going yep. on forever. <laughs> and, and the other thing we didn't talk about, but I think it's worth touching on is if you look at who is in the board of directors of the FDA, they all come from drug companies. I mean, yep. this is like, Oh, it's a complete, the, the FDA, most of the CDC, most of the government entities, it's a revolving door. I mean, they're either from them or they're, you know, they leave and they go to them and they, you know, have their cronies in the, in those entities that get them, you know, a one up. So it, it that piece of it is, is very, I mean, I, and I think that is decently reported on, although I don't think many people really think about it. Um, no. I think it's, you know, I think it's going to be interesting. I agree with you that we're in a transition phase, you know, whether what, whatever you want, however you want to look at it, you know, we're in a transition phase where this elite corruption just, it can't sustain itself for much longer. The interesting thing to me is that, especially in America, we, Americans have become so reliant on fast food, pills, you know, anything that is easy. It's, it's not what you're doing with your farm and with your house and with your children and with everything else, what I'm doing with mine. It's not the easy path. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort to stay healthy. It's not something that you just do by waking up and, you know, eating whatever you want and, and not exercising, et cetera, et cetera. And so to me, it's also going to be interesting because there needs to be a mind shift for people to understand that you can be healthy, but it do, it takes work. It, it's, you know, it's, I feel like, you know, that's sort of maybe a hundred, 200 years ago, the mindset that there was, you have to work hard to get what you want to get ahead. And that mindset is not there. And so I think that's going to be another interesting transition to see what, to see where that goes. I also want to come back to your, your eight year old self, where you were questioning all those things. <laughs> and it's funny because we, I, now that you say it, I used to sing Onward Christian Soldiers in school because I went to a Christian school and I never thought really about the words of it till you just said it. And I'm like, yeah, that's completely messed up. <laughs> um, but, you know, I do think, and I think this is very different when you live in a blue, blue progressive state versus when you go to the Midwest or you go to even, even purple states, you know, that are, that have more religion in their daily cultural life um, and where most people do go to church or to synagogue or to, to something. The, the values and the morals of the people that, and you know, I'm not preaching for religion because I'm not, I'm spiritual, but I'm not particularly religious. Thank you. The morals and ethics that you, that you have when you have something a greater being or a community. I mean, really what it comes down to is a community around you that you're, you're responsible to, or that you're, you know, that, that is there for you is very different from where we live. So I live in the San Francisco Bay area, which is as progressive as you get. And there is no, there is very little religion here. Yeah. Okay? Even people who say they're Christian or whatever, they don't go to church every Sunday. They don't have that community sense. And when you, when you don't have that, you don't have principles. You ha you're much less likely to have basic principles, um, you know, unless you have a home that you're raised in with them. But but it there is much more leeway to be influenced by 
corruption and by, you know, whatever is the cool thing of today. Uh, and so to me, that also, it, it is a shift in our, especially our state, California, I would say New York, I would say any of the blue, blue, you know, progressive states. It is a shift in mindset um, that that I that I worry about significantly, especially for our youth, uh, because there isn't anything that has replaced it that has those has any sort of moral ethical guides of what is the right thing to do. When it comes to the work of being healthy, you know, I don't know if you realize this, but I own a health institute. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> you know, and we have uh, about sixty thousand students worldwide, and I've been at it since nineteen ninety-five. I started the institute in ninety-five. I'm sixty-one, so I've been at it a long time. I've been almost forty years in this game, and um, I tell people all the time, students and patients. You got a choice. You either do the work to be healthy or do the work to deal with the diseases you're going to get because you didn't do the work to be healthy. So you're not really, it's not any more or less work. It's just, I say, for me, health is a labor of love and a labor of love is sustainable. Anything else is not sustainable because you're going to end up anxious and burned out and depressed and then on drugs. And from there, it's just, you're just a profit center for corporations that are pretending to have an interest in your well-being um you know one of the things that I, that I saw uh, I I happened to get an email or actually I saw a video and somebody was talking about actually I think the the children's health defense talked about town hall meetings so when covid kicked off there was all these town hall meetings that started and there's kind of a central location and I watched I just happened to watch an, a meeting where they had sort of like the head figures. And one of them was a Christian uh, preacher, pastor, the, the head of a, a significantly sized Christian church. And he gave a, a talk and it about floored me. And he said, did you realize that when COVID kicked off, the United States government offered Every Christian church in this country, $5 million to keep their doors closed. What? And, yep. Yeah. And, and he said 97% of them took the money. Well, yeah, I can understand. <laughs> That's a lot of money. <laughs> well, it's a lot of money, but you see the point that he was bringing up is he, he did not, he said to his flock, you don't have to wear a mask. We have our own beliefs about health. You're, you have your own sovereignty. You can come to church if you want. I've also set up a broadcast system so you can stay home if you want. But he was talking about how absolutely, utterly disgusting and immoral it was that this many leaders of Christian churches left their people at home, broke up their community, and took the money. But it doesn't surprise me at all. If that is if that is true, it doesn't surprise me at all because it's, it is... Uh, you know, it, it, our world right now revolves around money. It, it doesn't revolve around uh, ethics and morals. It, you know, you can't buy love and you, you, you can't buy health. You, you can't buy health in a bottle. You have to do health and you have to do the work of love. There's no such thing as the perfect relationship or the perfect boss or the, you know, none of that. I mean, you know, Life is a spiritual developmental process. And if you don't engage it with 
a sense of moral north, then you are going to have problems in love. You're going to have problems in business. You're going to have problems with money. You're going to have problems with government. And so, you know, it's, it's an interesting exercise in reality that we're all going through together. And, and I think those that have a spiritual grounding, you know, if I didn't have meditation and Tai Chi and, um, a variety of spiritual practices that I use and that I teach, COVID might have drove me crazy. I, 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 I thought, wow, you know, and we saw that with the elevated suicide rates, the elevated rates of addiction increase, you know, the average person gained 20 or more pounds. Uh, we saw junk food consumption go through the roof, alcohol consumption, cigarette consumption, sugar consumption. I mean, people were just like caged rats, but if you didn't have connection to a higher source or some source of inspiration and love and interestingly by one of the definitions of spirituality is connecting to a greater whole and so covid basically disconnected you from any semblance of a greater whole so if you didn't have your own means of connecting to whatever your belief is in the organizing consciousness behind creation then you were really isolated so i think you know that these are events that actually fortify the awareness and the need for a, a spiritual grounding. And if this last couple of years hasn't inspired people, uh, the next couple will. <laughs> yes. Hi, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the show. I imagine you know that magnesium is one of the minerals that people in North America are the most efficient in, but it's an extremely important mineral to have in your diet regularly. And believe it or not, Bioptimizers has improved what was already well known to be the best magnesium formula out there called Magnesium Breakthrough. So I've got Wade Lightheart with me to explain what it is they've done to improve this already excellent formula. Wade, what is new about your new Mag Breakthrough formula? Well, it's called sucrosomial magnesium. So we have seven different types of magnesium in Magnesium Breakthrough because they're uptaken by different parts of the body. But a new type of magnesium has been created called sucrosomial. And what it shows in the research and science is that it's actually even more absorbable by the body, particularly inside of the brain, which is a big aspect uh, to enhance neurotransmitter formation, as well as ensuring the rest and relax response in the nervous system that a lot of people will take magnesium for. They find it, you know, clocks them down, helps them sleep better, allows for the relaxation of striated and smooth muscle tissue in the body, which creates an energetic relief. And so when we added sucrosomial, we were able to demonstrate inside our lab facility that we were able to get better improvements. Of course, we have a partnership with the Birch International University. We have some patents we're working on, uh, which will kind of relay some of these things. But sucrosomial was a no-brainer when we added to the formula, improved the results or improved the uptake. And the reports back from our testing team were like, wow, this we get more results with less caps. And that's always the goal for our company. That's excellent. I love it. I, I always say, and people have probably heard me say it before, I just am so amazed how you guys are constantly and always improving and working your best to not only make better products for us, but it doesn't seem to me that it gets more expensive as you make them better. So that's a real gift to the world. Thank you. Where can people get their new 
magnesium breakthrough formula? All you need to do is go to www.magbreakthrough.com slash living4d. Put in Paul 10, get 10% discount on your first bottle. And of course, if you order multiple bottles, you can get an extensive discount on that as well. And like everything else, we sell 365-day money-back guarantee. If this isn't the best magnesium you've ever taken in your life, we demand that you tell us and we can give you your money back. But I think you're probably going to demand, hey, can I get more of this? <laughs> that, that's probably more the truth. So that's mag, M-A-G, breakthrough.com forward slash living number four. And then the letter D, code Paul 10. Enjoy deeper relaxation and better nutrition with Mag Breakthrough. To me, the whole lockdowns and COVID really tore apart everything that 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 makes you whole you know i mean everything about them was a you know a, a destruction of what you need to be a healthy person and it, whether it's food whether it's emotionally whether it's you know physically all of those things i i'm i am looking forward to a time in the future i don't think it's too far away where we look back as a society and realize that this was one of the biggest, you know, or trust, uh, you know, uh, monstrosities, you know, whatever in, in history, Human history. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do, you know, and I, I, I take, you know, my mother is German, so I take the Nazi period very, very seriously, but I have studied it a lot. And, you know, I look at it and the the propaganda machine that was used. And I was actually, I was talking to a cousin of mine on Labor Day who's, who lives in Germany. And I was, she said, we were talking about, you know, people asked, you know, how could the Nazis do that? How could they do that? And you look at the last two, three years, and it shows me exactly how they could do it. You know, yeah. the, the, the shaming, the you're dirty if you're not vaccinated, you know, you're spreading disease if you're not vaccinated, those types of things. You know, to me, it, it, it is, there is a significant parallel there. The, the piece that boggles my mind the most is the fact that Israel is the one country that pushed these vaccines the hardest and the whole experimentation, like it boggles my mind that that's the country that, that was at the forefront of the vaccination and booster and all the rest of it, because to me, they should have been the last ones picking up the, uh, picking up the baton. But um, it, it, you know, to me, I can see us in you know five ten years time, looking back on this, maybe it takes longer than that. But looking back on this and going, "Wow, that was the biggest, um, you know, one of the biggest things in human history that that you know was just awful." Yeah. Well, if you could just state what your mission, vision, and values are for a choice, a voice for choice advocacy, ad advocacy. What what is it that you feel? that your mission is, your vision, and, and the values that you as an organization represent. Yeah, and I should probably say much of what I've just said is very is personal to me and not necessarily the vision of a Voice for Choice advocacy. Um, but our, you know, our mission statement is to educate and advocate for informed choice and transparency of what goes into your body uh, or on your body. So food, air, water, pharmaceuticals, we really want you to know what's in them. Um, and then for you to make that choice of whether you choose that. Now, uh, you know, I will say that, you know, things, the, you know, the spiritual side and all of that type of stuff that I talked about is pro is, is definitely my own perspective from our organization's perspective. 
we we want people to be informed. You know, there is such lack of information and people just go blindly into decisions and 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 especially with things like medical treatments or the food you're eating. You know, the majority of people don't understand why you would buy organic, for example, or why you would grow your own food, why you would why would you would look at what the ingredients are in vaccines and not just blindly go into that first well child visit and have five injections put into your child because the doctor says so. Um, you know, to me, there I, I did the same as you. I, you know, there are family members that I gave them all the information on the COVID vaccine. And I said, you know, I'm I'm telling you, I have I'm the one who's done the research on this. You haven't. And I'm telling you, don't do it. And I gave them all the research and they still got vaccinated. They still got boosted because their fear of the disease was so much more significant than the unknown of the vaccination. And so to me, but, you know, I will say they they read what I gave them and they I have to say that they made an informed decision. So if that informed decision was to get the vaccine because they were more afraid of the disease and it killing them than they were of the vaccine doing damage, then I have to take, you know, I'm, I, I can't judge them because I don't want them to judge me on my decision. Which- yeah, I think that's, that was my goal too, is just to say, hey, look, you know, look at this carefully before you make your decision. So you actually are making an informed decision. But I think the other side of that coin that I know for sure, because, you know, I'm in touch with thousands and thousands of people, is that those that did not look at it, but then attacked family members that chose not to get vaccinated, (laughs) became part of the brainwashing experiment and gave evidence that there is not any consciousness left in these people. And that, you know, is how you destroy a culture right there. You get enough people doing that and you undermine the entire Culture. And there's another piece to it, which goes even beyond that, which is why they're sticking, those people are sticking with their story. And that is the guilt and shame. If they actually recognize that, yes, I made a mistake, right? So your sister is one of the few that, that said, wow, I really regret doing this. But for the majority of people, and I saw this, you know, years ago when I started getting into the vaccine issue on on an activism level with autistic parents, parents of autistic kids. And there is a group of parents that will say to you, yes, my child got the vaccine. And two days later, you know, the next days had a really high pitched screams, fever. And, and after that could not read, could not speak, could not whatever. And it was clear to me, it was the vaccine and they took ownership or yeah, I was the one that gave the child or had the child. I didn't do my research. I didn't know. I now know. But there is a huge group of parents of autistic kids that will never, ever admit that it was the vaccines, even if it is obvious to you and I, because if they do, they're admitting that they did that to their children by not doing the research, by allowing the doctors to give that vaccine. And they will never, ever go there. And the same is true with the COVID vaccine. There are people out there that, you know, got the shots, got the boosters, and will forever say, no, it was the right thing to do. And, you know, I would have died if I got, yes, I got COVID, but I would have died and gone to hospital or gone to hospital and died if I had gotten 
you know, if I hadn't gotten the vaccine. And to me, those people just can't, they cannot admit it. You know, they, they don't want to even look at the data because it means that they did something wrong and they could have chosen a different path, but they chose not to, or they chose not to do the research. And so I think it, you know, that piece of the brainwashing is, and propaganda is even one step further. That they, and, and I think the people doing the brainwashing and propaganda know that, but there is a group of people that will never come around because of that shame and guilt. And, and you know, they have to own up to themselves that they didn't, didn't do the research or they did something wrong. Well, as an English woman, you'll appreciate what I'm about to say. Shakespeare said, to thine own self be true, or thou canst be true to any other man. That's very true, yes. <laughs> and so those people you're talking about cannot be true to any other man because they cannot be true to themselves, which means they're teaching their children and everybody around them to live a false life, to, li to live a lie. And, and that will have its own moral, ethical, religious, and spiritual implications within their own psyches. And I think, you know, I'm a guy who's worked with sick people for a long, long time. And that is the very stuff that makes diseases in people. That's how you manifest a disease because the mental emotional state as a psychic formative force will manifest a physical representation of that energy in a person's body. And that's what I call inviting the pain teacher into your life. And, and eventually you either die or you realize that you have to do some forgiveness and have empathy and compassion for yourself and then share that with other people. So, you know, in all fairness, we're all learning life. We're all learning who and what we are and, and what love is and what relationships are about. You know, to me, earth is like, uh, a spiritual kindergarten where, where immature <laughs> souls come like to that. figure out how to deal with the forces of consciousness. Um, you know, I looked at your resources page and you have a lot of excellent resources, some that I wasn't even familiar with, and I'm pretty damn familiar. I've got a very comprehensive library. I'm like, oh, I got to check that one out, or I wonder <laughs> if Angie's seen that one. But then I saw that you had a bunch of masks on there, and that really shocked me. I'm just yeah. curious, what, what's, why was that? <laughs> yeah, so, and, it, and we got a lot of feedback on that, I'll say. <laughs> I bet. You're so, getting some now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, those, so let me be very clear. I, I do not believe in masks. I don't believe that they help. Those masks specifically are um, True 47 masks. And when we were in the depths of, especially in California, and especially when you had to wear one to fly. Um, they were actually recommended by Judy Mikovitz. So I, I oh. come back to that and people are like, oh, they are basically silver masks. So they, and they're very, very breathable. So you you can put them on their sheer, they're, they look sheer, but they're very breathable and they are made of silver threads. And so to me, it was, if I'm, I travel a lot, so, and, and on planes and I did throughout COVID. And so to me, if I'm going to be forced to wear something and I, you know, I'm not one, you know, if I, if I could drive across the States in, in an hour, that's great, but I can't, so I'm going to fly. You know? um, so to me, it was getting, getting something out there that is breathable, that doesn't harm you because the other, the piece, the, one of the biggest things to me with the mosques that were out there was, and, and we, you know, I said it right at the beginning and, you know, then there were studies done is, 
you're breathing out. What I breathe out needs to go away. It's I'm breathing it out because our human body is made that when you breathe out, all of that crap goes away out of your body. And so wearing a mask that kept that in, you know, and then breathing that back in, not a good idea. And so to me, these silver masks were the answer because silver kills, you know, it kills all that stuff. And so when I'm wearing it, number one, they were breathable. So most of what I was breathing actually passed through the mask. Right. But yeah. Whatever hit the mask that was bacteria or virus was was dying. And so when I was breathing back in, I was not breathing them. So we I actually should move them down to the down to the bottom of the page. Um, but we did the other piece of it was, you know, there were especially here in California, there were a lot of parents that had kids that had to wear masks to school. So again, it was when you were in a place that you had to wear it, this was the best one that we, you know, that we found that we could offer. And and people came to us because they are they are quite expensive and we were able to give discount, you know, during the time that we had them, we did some some discounts that got them them for a lot less expensive. But um that is the reason it is not because I believe in the mosques and you're right. I haven't I didn't look on that page recently, but I I will move them down to the bottom of the page because they're no longer um top priority. We do have some we do have some left in stock, which is why they're still up there because I need to get, I need to sell them in order to get our money back. But um for the most part we don't we 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 do not believe in um in masking. Well, you know, to, to, in all fairness to you, when I saw that there, knowing what I've read from you, what I've heard from you and what, you know, Angie's following you very closely. Angie's a super smart, highly educated woman and a healer. And, um, I, I looked at it and I noticed right away they didn't look like standard masks. I saw the mention, I think it said silver and a fancy number. And I thought, okay, well, what she's offering is the lesser of two evils here. Yes. Yeah. And it was really for people who, you know, when you didn't have another option, you know, to me, I, I did not wear a mask anytime unless I was on like a plane or public transportation or going into a doctor's office where you don't have, you know, you don't have the choice. <laughs> If you want to participate, and there were things that I had to part, you know, I, I, I'm a person that, you know, I will take, I will not be constrained, but at the same time, I'm also not going to give up my life in order to, you know, in order to be that obstinate person saying, well, fine, I'm not flying on a plane to me for my mental health and everybody is different. Okay. I'm, uh, this is me personally, for me personally, my mental health. I need to get out of California every now and then. Yo, I I'm, imagine. You know, I'm an international person. Like my parents live in Europe still. I grew up in London. I, you know, lived in New York for 10 years. I like, I just need to get out of my space. And so for my mental health, putting on a, you know, a, a mask that lets me breathe through it and that is healthy, I'm going to say, or healthier, um, you know, to me, getting on that plane was more important. I understand completely the people that say, I'm not going to give to government control and I'm not flying on a plane. I, that's your choice that, you know, where uh, I, yeah, I totally understand. I had to, I, I, I was, um, I was asked to be the minister to marry two of my uh, higher level students, which are it. also instructors and they, they live in Austin, Texas, and there's no way I could fly there without wearing a mask. So I, you know, I just played the game and said, you know, it's what I got to do to go marry my friends. And so I'm going to do it. And, and, you know, I would, I told them you're about the only people in the world I'd wear this mask and get on an airplane <laughs> for. So know that yeah. me being here 
is yep. a real testament to your life. Yep. But <laughs> we talked about already quite a bit about the whole issue of government and, and Fauci and Gates and, and, you know, it's interesting too. I'm sure you're aware that the government of India has actually, I, I saw their, whatever they call their Senate, but they actually stated that they were going to charge Bill Gates with crimes against humanity and Africa, the African governments after him too, for the deaths of something like 495,000 women and their children due to experimental vaccines. Um, the thing I did want to ask you about, not that I, I need to know about it, but I think it's important to talk about for the listeners is, you know, you keep on identifying little tricks these people are up to. Like I remember not long ago, I ended up getting on the phone and calling everybody I knew because you'd identified that they had gutted a trolley repair bill, yep. <laughs> put some kind of a, a mandatory vaccine. Uh, this was for the vaccine passports, if I remember yep. right. Uh, you know, how do they get away with this? I mean, how does the average person ever even know to look in these places? I mean, this is like. So the average person doesn't. I mean, this that's is what it disgusting. Comes down to. I mean, this yeah, is it is. It this is. is criminal. This is dirty pool. This is, you know, this is like. I don't yeah, even. I, have I mean, words. I think even even post COVID, and and I'm saying we are post COVID this year in the legislative session. You know, we had. 10 or more really bad bills. Thankfully, most of them died. But if they had gone through, they would have required every person in California that is employed, contractor, whatever, to get the COVID vaccine. They would have required every K through 12, actually daycare through 12th grader to get the vaccine. They would have required law enforcement to not uh, to enforced public health measures, which is not part of law enforcement's job. Um, they would have allowed doctors or allowed the medical board to bypass a subpoena and get your medical records. Um, they would have, you know, I mean, it goes on and on of what they, what they would have done. They would have had 12 year olds be able to get vaccines by themselves without their parents. Um, you know, there, it goes on and on. And you mean we would have become like Canada and Australia. <laughs> yes. Um, but, and, and we're already, you know, partway there, but, but the key piece there is if you go out on the street and ask, not somebody who, you know, is, you know, a friend of yours, but you go out and ask the general person on the street, if they knew that any of those bills were up for, you know, passing, going through the legislature, I can guarantee you the 95% of them would say no. I wouldn't either. It's only because of you that I do. I mean, that that's why I wanted to talk to you and, and, and celebrate you and say, thank you, Christina. My God, I'm bowing and saying you're an angel in, in the flesh. And, and, you know, when I read that stupid ass trolley bill, I was pissed off. I'm like, what kind of asshole? I mean, this is but that's criminal. What they can do. And, and, you know, it's funny because we have our lobbyists and they will tell you that the vaccine bills and these controversial COVID bills, they are the own, there are few other bills that don't go through the legislative process as the legislative process. On these bills, rules get waived. They got an amend stuff. I mean, they, it is a mess out there when it comes to these bills and they play all sorts of tricks. And it's funny because, you know, 
I'll say to our lobbyist, okay, so the last deadline that they can do X is this date, right? And they'll say yes. And then we both have a chuckle and go, well, but of course they can always waive the rules and do something different, which is what they absolutely can do. <laughs> so, you know, my perspective is, is, you know, I don't expect the average person to know any of this. My recommendation is get involved with a group. You know, if you're in California, sign up for a Voice for Choice Advocacies newsletter. If you're in a different state, sign up for your state's, you know, medical, as I said at the beginning, they usually have medical freedom or vaccine choice or health rights, one of those health choice, one of those words in the in the title of them. If you don't know them, if you can't find them, just email me. I know all the, I, we're part of a state uh, organization or a state leaders organization that I have all of them. Um, but the the key piece there is get involved with one of those organizations and and take what they say and do what they say like if you're a part of a voice for choice advocacy's newsletter we only put stuff out that is actionable i am a huge you know when i talk to my my staff um you know my whole thing is you have limited time money and effort what are we going to do with the limited time, money, and effort to make the biggest impact? And so we don't make you go on, you know, on on just sort of doing busy work because it people don't have that much time, money, and they have a limited amount of time, money, and effort. And so what we put out is what's going to have the greatest impact. An example of that is we just finished a postcard campaign for the governor to veto uh, these bills, the remaining bills that are coming to his desk. We sent thousands, literally thousands upon thousands of postcards that we printed out. We had people write their content of their postcard. We printed those on the back and we sent them to him. You know, we went and looked at, okay, we want the governor to veto this. What are the, what are the things that people can do? They can sign a petition, doesn't do very much. They can email the governor, which is great for a check mark of, you're opposed, you know, we've got X thousand people that are opposed to this bill. We've got X thousand people that are for this bill. Um, you, you should see the letter I wrote Gavin Newsom. <laughs> Good for you. Um, we, we, it was we, hot. I'm sure. <laughs> I let him we, know that I was devoted a good chunk of my life to defending this country against enemies, foreign and domestic, and that I was extremely concerned that he was behaving exactly like what I was I trained to identify as an enemy and that he was a corporate prostitute and that if he thought that nobody was paying attention, he was dead wrong and a few other very clear descriptors. <laughs> Good for you. Um, but And then, you know, calling versus snail mail. And, and our perspective was the reason why we chose postcards actually was um, because that way he doesn't have to open the envelope, right? Or his staff doesn't have to open the envelope. And it was more of an impact campaign. I mean, it, the interesting thing is every single postcard says something different. It's all from the person and then people, you know, wrote their own thing. And so, you know, I do hope that they actually do realize that they are different and that they're personalized. But at the same time, with literally thousands and thousands of postcards being dumped on his desk or his staff's desk, I know we've made an impact. Oh, yeah. They know people. someone's paying attention for exactly. sure. <laughs> and so whether he, you know, I think some of them he won't veto, he will sign just because he, you know, he's not going to listen to everything. But at the same time, I feel like there is enough there that um, hopefully he will 
you know, he will see that there is an impact and that there is, you know, there, there are constituents that are concerned about this. And so, but, you know, again, coming back to what can you do, you know, to me, you need to do things that are really the best use of your time, the best use of your money, the best use of your effort. And different people have different levels of that. But what we send out, uh, you know, to our to our followers on our on our newsletter is really the stuff that you know. When you, as I, I usually say, when you get an email from us, open it because it has something important in it. Yes, yeah, I've <laughs> yeah, learned. We that. don't send out emails that are just you know more more spam mail. Um, they really, they really, we make an we make it really important that that there is something for you to do. The other thing that if you know me, I am a solutions person, like. It, you can't come to me with a, you can come to me with a problem, but we need to work out a solution. I'm not going to put anything out there that is just a vent and a rant because I really am strongly, you know, when my, when my, my team knows this, when they come to me with something, I'm like, okay, what's the solution? You have to have the solution for me too, or we can work on the solution. You don't have to have it, you know, signed and sealed, but we need, there needs to be an answer of what can you do to counter, you know, whatever it is that the problem is. Hi, everybody. I'm not sure how familiar you are with minerals and trace minerals, but minerals are important to our body for many, many functions. And minerals and trace minerals also help regulate our hormonal system. And one of the products that I've been using for many years is Shilajay minerals. But when I got a hold of Shervine's Shilajay from Symbiotica, it was a total notch above anything I've ever tried. So I've got Shervine here to tell us what's special about his Shilajay and how to use it. You know, Shilajit is, uh, you can pronounce it any way you want. I like Shilajit. It makes me want to dance a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, because the actual product makes me want to dance. Good. I take it on the rise. You know, it's at the center point of Ayurveda. It's, you know, a collection of fulvic minerals, soil, decomposition of plant material. So you're getting all the minerals and you're getting it the way Mother Earth provided it and the way we can absorb it. And so the way I look at that, it's instant energy and it reduces acidosis across the body. So if you want to reduce and chelate acids out of the body, Shilajit is pretty much the answer and the solution to that. And, you know, it's probably our best seller right now. Everybody's, you know, doing rituals with it on the rise and they're using it throughout the day. It makes for a really good, you know, tonic. It's delicious. Once your body starts getting acclimated to it, the flavor starts to kick in. And you know, if you're a coffee drinker, if you're a matcha drinker, if you're a tea drinker, this is a really good balancer to keep your body nourished of what you need. Because most people drinking coffee, they're pouring acids onto an already acidic body. This is a good way to balance that out through the minerals. And if you're not eating certified organic food from good soils, you're eating mineral deficient food. And the minerals in Shilajay are very important for our skin, our nails, and our hair, which a lot of people have problems with. So I think this is a great product across the board for anybody. And our jing, right? So we are mineral deficient. Yeah. Our foods have been dilapidated, right? It's yes. like Franken foods, right? Shilajit is mineralizing you to the blood, to yeah. the bone. And if you're a man, you're really going to feel it. Let me tell you. Yeah, well, good. I'm sure the women will <laughs> like that. So get your jing yes. with your shilajay. And jing, you know, that means your, your juice, your life force, boys. And uh, the nice thing about shilajay is it does not take much at all. Yeah. Uh, a serving is tiny. It's very potent stuff. So it's not like you have to use a lot. It'll last you for quite a while. To get 15% off this product and all the other amazing products by Symbiotica, go to symbiotica.com and use the promo code L4D15 at checkout. 
That's symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com with the promo code capital L, the number four, capital D, and the number one five. You know, in, in thinking about this whole issue of, of people not knowing, um, I think I know this is true for me, and I've learned the hard way that it's not true. Um, I think we all inherently want to trust the justice system is there to be just. So I, I you know, I don't run around looking to see if it's in the newspaper of who's getting uh, tried for uh, you know, shooting somebody or, or who screwed who in a business deal. I, I just trust that's what the justice system's for. And, and you know, it, it, it's supposed to be there. So we all know that there's something to hold us accountable and there's a, a definition of justice. And I think most people just haven't woken up to the fact yet that the entire justice system is also being infiltrated like the government system is. And so one of the questions I wanted to ask you is how do you, Christina Hildebrand, define justice? What does that word mean to you? Yeah. And I agree with what you just said, because to me, pre-2015, if you asked me about the legal system in the United States or anywhere, but but you know, I, I speak about the United States because that's where I've lived for, for a long time now, um, I would have said, oh, it's fair, it's just, it's, you know, it 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 is all of that. After 2016, we had a court case uh, against the vaccine mandate, you know, the the removal of the personal belief exemption. And that really woke me up. That woke me up that this system is as biased as our legislative system. And when you are in a, and I would say it's biased everywhere, you know, it, it, when you are in a progressive state like California, the justices, the, 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 you know, the judges are biased in that same way. And if you're similarly, if you're in a red state, I think they're, they're more biased that way. Um, but it's interesting to me, the, the, it, it, I, and you had asked me, you had sort of previewed what we were going to talk about. And this question of how do I define justice, it to me has two connotations. So there's the pure form of justice that there are, um, and to me, it's not even the laws that our state or our, our you know federal government puts in place that you have to adhere to. But there's it's the moral ethical laws that you live by and abide by as a person. Um that that there is that there will be justice for that. That that if you don't live in that way according to the laws, but also according to your you know moral ethical values, that there will be justice, whether it's from, you know, a judge or legal system, or whether it's from your friends or your family, or if you believe in God, you know, from God. Um, but there's another piece of it, which is the legal system. So what, you know, pre 2015, if you had asked me, you know, what is justice, I would have referred to, you know, in, in, in England, they're, they're the, the people with the white wigs on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the justice system. That's the, that's the place that is, um, that, that makes sure that people are abiding by the laws. People are abiding by the rules that you're not, you know, that corruption isn't going on, that, that, you know, that it is a place that, that sticks in line with what is supposed to happen. And I just, 
I don't have the faith in the legal system here in the U.S. Um, and I just it it's it, it is having been through that court case and then also being through I, I'm divorced and have gone through the family law courts. And I will say the family law courts in California are even worse. They, they are the worst judicial system that I have ever ever seen, and it it is it is really bad. Uh, you know, they don't even take, it's, it's all hearsay. It's all, you put forward briefs that are me saying what I think and my ex saying what they think. Um, and it's, it is a really, really bad system. It does not take the children into consideration. It does not, it, it is just a terrible system. But having gone through those two, and I'll go back to our, our SB 277 case, our personal belief exemption case, you know, we got to the appeals court and there were three judges. One was on our side. One was not on our side. We knew that going in. And the third judge, we didn't know where they they stood. And he, we had 15 minutes. And this is another thing. Like, why 15 minutes? That's all the oral argument time we had was 15 minutes. And the judge starts going on about polio. And that if he, you know, agrees with our case that polio, and it's funny because polio is, you know, coming back, quote, quotation marks there, uh, but the polio will come back to the United States, and he does not want to be responsible for making polio come back. Now, our case was a completely constitutional case. It was based on education, the right to education. It was right to bodily autonomy and the right to parental rights to, to raise your kids as you wish. Those, it has nothing to do with polio. It didn't matter if you, we wrote it specifically. I went to our lawyers and said, I want you to write this from a pro-vax stance because the likelihood our judges are pro-vax is, you know, 100%. So I want you to write the case from that perspective and just use constitutional law. And this guy just literally went on and on about polio. And our lawyer was left with, okay, do I bring it back to the case or do I start arguing polio? Well, we're not arguing polio. <laughs> And so we lost the case because this guy was so, this judge was fixated on polio. And I was just like, it just shows me how poor the judicial system is because it had nothing to do with our case. Um, and it just, it it's it, for anyone, especially in blue states that thinks that they can win a case based on, um, you know, based on the the law and not having bias um, is, you know, it, it is hard. I will say that, um, we have had a couple of wins, not we, a voice for choice advocacy, but the movement has had a couple of wins in California on the school vaccine mandate when schools like LAUSD and San Diego state were, um, saying that they were going to implement a COVID vaccine requirement for kids in schools. Um, there were, there's one, uh, group called let them breathe that put forward, uh, a number of lawsuits that won, and they were, but they were based very much just on the factual statements. Again, you know, very much on the law says the only person that can add a vaccine is the Department of Health or the legislature. Um, and so they did win on that, which was to me a really good sign that maybe we pivoted a little bit, but I still don't have faith in the justice system here. <laughs> Are you familiar with the new book that recently came out called Turtles All the Way Down Myths and Facts About Vaccines? I think is the subtitle. No, I haven't. I, it, I will have uh, to look that one up. Yeah, yeah, just look it up on Amazon. Turtles all the way down. Okay. 
Um, I've got it, but if I get up, I have to take off my headphones. And, and don't worry, don't worry, we're good. I'll look it up. <laughs> it's an, it's edited by somebody, so it's not an author. It's a com- compilation of research studies, but they do address the polio vaccine. And years ago, because I've worked with a number of polio patients in my career, so I did my own investigations, and I found solid epidemiological studies looking at the life cycle of the disease. And the, when the vaccinations came in and they looked at studies on the effects of vaccines and showed very conclusively that it wasn't the vaccine at all that put an end to polio. It was just the natural end of the cycle of the disease. And so people, people that don't do any research and a judge like that obviously hasn't done any research. So he's using a scare tactic. And my question is, I want to see where the, how much money's coming to him for participating in that little scam, you know? I don't even know that it's money. I think it is, I think it's fear-based. You know, it, it is, if I rule on this, then if something happens negatively, I am responsible for it. And I'm not taking, it's easier, it's easier to just say no to the case than to take on that responsibility. I will say for you and your viewers, if you haven't read it, Dissolving Illusions by Suzanne Humphreys, uh, amazing book that gives, it's long and it's it's dense, <laughs> but an amazing book that gives the history of vaccines and especially the polio vaccine. But it actually shows that, you know, she has these amazing graphs of the diseases, the deaths from diseases, so for, and, and how they were mitigated really by sanitation, hygiene. Uh, and yes, kids got measles, mumps, rubella after that, but they didn't die from it. It was, it, you know, and the key piece to me is, you know, I had all those diseases, the actual diseases, not the vaccine when I was a kid. And I wish my kids had gotten those diseases when they were children so that they have lifelong immunity to them, that they have a stronger, robust uh, immune system. But that she also goes into the polio vaccine and how they were spraying DDT at the time and DDT poisoning has exactly the same uh, symptoms as polio. And, you know, you look at these pictures. I mean, I, you watch videos of these kids in swimming pools literally being fogged with DDT. And it's just like, who the heck ever thought that that would be a good thing to do? Like, I just, I mean, I, it boggles my mind. Well, that leads right to my next question. You know, it's, uh, there's many, many credible experts worldwide. I mean, there must be a thousand podcasts with them at this point talking about the eugenics issue. And uh, I've even seen doctors that have put themselves at great risk by dissecting what's in the vaccines, looking at who they're, the gene markers, who's being targeted looking at the populations of people that got sick and died from the vaccines and so-called COVID and showing that they're targeting key groups of people, uh, be it, you know, like uh, specific segments, races, be it black people, Puerto Ricans, whatever. I don't remember the exact statistics, but I've seen many documentaries looking into Bill Gates Sr. And he was not only, uh, part of the one that the United States government used to implement Rockefeller's medical dogma, uh, but was clearly a eugenicist and one of the chief pioneers of it. And there's been, I've probably got at least three articles out of major newspapers featuring Bill Gates clearly stating all the way back to 2010 
that we will use vaccines to lower the population. I mean, outright stating this, I saw a TED talk that he gave and he said right in the TED talk, we need to lower the population. We're going to use vaccines to do it. And what shocked the hell out of me was not a single person in the audience even flinched. Yeah. It was well, like, I did, so they didn't even react. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. And I'm going to play the other side. I agree with you. And I do think that's where it's at. I'll play the other side, which is, oh, well, he was saying that vaccines mean that we don't have to have as many kids because less will die. And so, you know, we'll, but I agree with you that the, you know, and I wouldn't, you know, to me, when you say eugenics, there is a, I feel that it's as much a fear tactic on the other side. So I don't, I personally don't particularly like the word eugenics because it throws a lot of people to a place of that would never happen in the US. That would never happen. And, or, you know, fear mongering. Now, do I think it's going on? Yes. (laughs) But do I think it's, I think it's, um, so I think there are people out there that are specifically believe that the population needs to be reduced. The interesting thing that I find is when you, if, if you take like the COVID vaccine, right. And I do think that it creates antigenic sin. So I think there are people that are quadruple boosted that are dying because they were vaccinated. If they had not been vaccinated and gotten COVID, I think they would be less likely to die. Um, but the, the, question for me that I have on the flip side, and I haven't found an answer for it, so I'm curious if you have an answer for it, is the people that did not take the vaccine, honestly, I think are the people that Bill Gates and Fauci don't want on this planet. They don't want me and you on this planet. They want the people who took the vaccine to be on this planet. So therefore, where does that leave us in that in that sense of things? Um, but I think the, I, I do think that whether the COVID, whether COVID and the COVID vaccine were put out there to kill people, our world, even before COVID, was in the pharmaceutical industry and the big food industry are killing people. And, and the corporate farming industry, which is part of the food right, industry. Right, that's what I mean by food. Yeah. yeah uh, I, mean, I mean, it's just, to me... It, it was way before COVID and the COVID vaccine. Do I think the COVID vaccine accelerated stuff? Yes. Do I think that that, that was the purpose of the COVID vaccine? I don't know, because I feel like money plays such a huge part for Fauci and the Gates that it's so much about the money. And yes, if people died along the way, that's fine. But if they didn't die along the way, I don't know if that would be fine too. I feel like it would. I feel like to him, it's the fact that he made billions of dollars off that vaccine that gets him, you know, higher up in his money pile. Um, But I feel like even pre-COVID, I mean, you look at the United States, you look at how many people are overweight or obese. You look at the number of drugs they're on. I mean, I did a, I do market research as one of my jobs and and probably about 10 years ago, I did a, a research study among 65 and above year olds, and the average number of prescription medications, average number of prescription medications that a 65 year old takes is 13. That's incredible. That is insane when there's you, we're not, we're not there yet. You're just there. No, you're we're not there yet. <laughs> but, but if you take, you know, there are a number of people, my mom does not take a single drug, right? And so there are people that take more than that. But I realized it with my, you know, I brought my grandmother to live in California in her last years and she lived in a nursing home. And pre pre pre-living there, she lived alone and she ate a tub of ice cream every single night. And she was overweight, 
and diabetic. And so they brought her into the nursing home and they said, okay, she needs to be on diabetes medication. So she went on diabetes medication. She then got the jitters from it. So they then gave her a medication for that. She then had her mouth sort of swell up and, and become, you know, sort of uh, that she couldn't eat. So they gave her a medication for that. Then, and by the end of it, she was on nine different medications for eight of them were for the side effects of this first medication. And the interesting thing was I went into the, so they clearly in the nursing home, they cut out all sugar. You know, she lost 80 pounds in like three, four months because she wasn't eating crap. Uh, she was still eating crap from their perspective. It wasn't what I would feed, but you know, it was better crap than <laughs> what she'd been feeding herself. And I went to the di- uh, the endocrinologist with her and I said, okay, well, you know, she's lost this amount of weight. Like her diabetes seems to be under control. Can we take her off the diabetes medication? And his answer was, no, you can't. Like if you're on this medication, you're on it for life. And I was just like, okay, well, can we cut it down then? And, you know, over a period of about 12 to 18 months, we cut it down so much that we got to the point where the doctor was just like, well, if I cut it down anymore, like she's not going to be on it anymore. And I was like, great. So let's take her off. And I had the amount of paperwork I had to sign to get her off this medication and therefore off the nine other medications was just crazy. But to me, it made me realize that that number was actually real because people want, number one, they want the easy fix. You know, they want to go on cholesterol drugs rather than taking, you know, rather than eating healthy. They want to go on heart medication rather than doing something that helps their heart, you know, those types of things. But it just, you know, to me, the food industry, which is, you know, the majority of people eat completely processed food, which is crap and makes that and is not healthy. And the pharmaceutical industry with all these drugs and the side effects. I mean, that's what's, that's what's killing America much more than, you know, the vaccines may, may speed that up. Um, but, but, you know, to me, the, the health, the lack of health and the lack of want for health in the United States, um, just, it just boggles my mind. Well, the answer to your question, um, when you started this line of discussion, that's all right. It was, you know, I might have a different perspective or something like that, but you know who Reiner Fulmich is, the lawyer, okay? Yep. I saw him interview a very skilled investigative reporter who had managed to either use a hacker or however get inside emails from inside Bill Gates and people like the World Economic Forum, and she was reading their emails and they were discussing the public and referring to them as rats sheep and useless eaters. Yep. <laughs> so the answer to your query is this. If they want to reduce the population, then the ones they want to keep are the ones that are smart enough to get out of the net they've cast because those people are at least going to be productive and do something. And yeah, the ones that, the ones they're calling useless sheeters, rats and sheep uh, eaters, rats and sheep, those are obviously the ones they don't like. So for me, it's like, okay, here's the net. If you can get past the net, then you deserve to live kind of idea. Um, My, my next issue. And I, I, I happened to come across a couple of quotes that I didn't share with you yet. I wanted it to be a little fun for you. Sure. (laughs) You know, I, I, I said to you, it's my contention that if a law is unlawful, then it's criminal to abide by it. And I really believe that. Like, if if you know it's unhealthy to wear a mask or social distance, 
because you've studied these issues and you do it anyhow, then you're, you're participating in crime and it's your own choice. But I found two quotes that I think you're going to find very interesting. Mm-hmm. Here's the first one. The greatest crimes in the world are committed not by people breaking the rules, but by people following them. The author of that quote is a man named Bansky. And here's one from the Nuremberg trials. The fact that a person acted pursuant to order of his government or to his superior does not relieve him from the responsibility under international law, provided a moral choice was in fact possible to him. Hmm. Interesting. So, you know, the point I wanted to bring up is, you know, when we're facing all this crime and all the, you know, people often don't know the difference between a mandate and a law. And we had police enforcing mandates and beating people up and tasing them and putting them in jail. I mean, this is a complete abortion of their rights, of, of the person's rights, and it's a way overstepping the boundaries. And and we, we get into a long rabbit hole of that. And, you know, I recently found out, for example, that the Australian um, police department is actually not an Australian police department. It's, oh, really? it's, it's a contracted organization oh. by, by, I think it's either a United States, I think it's either United States or British or both. But people in Australia have no idea that they technically should not be, be able to put in jail by these people because they're not even Australian law enforcement. They're hired guns. And I thought that was oh, pretty goodness. interesting. Yeah. Uh, what, what are your thoughts in regard to following rules that are, or laws that are just not lawful? So I, I completely agree with that. I mean, I, I, but I will caveat it. You know, I'm, I, it, it's the, t- it, we'll go back to the example of mask wearing on planes, right? The, the key there is, uh, did I wear a mask on a plane? I did. And did I follow the, the rules there? Yes, I did, because I wanted to get to my destination. And I knew if I was going to not follow the rules there, I wasn't going to make it to my destination. They would have kicked me off the plane. And there was nothing, you know, I can go plead that in a court case, but that's going to take, I mean, we saw the mask lawsuit took, you know, 12 months, 18 months. Court case isn't a fix tomorrow or today for me to get on that plane. So, so I agree that but you have to be aware enough to know that a law, to know to do that, right? <laughs> Most people just are sheep and they just follow, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Fine. I'm going to do it. And I'm like, you don't need to wear a mask here. Oh, well, yeah, but it's just easier if I do. You know, that's the mentality. So I think for the people that are willing to stand up and want to stand up, um, absolutely, I agree with that. But I think everyone needs to take their own boundaries into, you know, into consideration. What are you willing to do? You know, there are some people that would go up and not wear a mask on a flight and and cause that ruckus, right? But but you have to be willing to do that as a person. I've, I, I'm, I'm a big history buff, especially when it comes to, to, to civil rights or people's rights. And so it's interesting to me too that, you know, when I look back in history, there were a lot of people that were willing to put, and, you know, I, I include soldiers in there, that were willing to put their lives on the line, literally be killed. Without even knowing why? <laughs> Without him knowing why. Yeah, maybe they were stupid, but no. I, I, but, 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 you know, to me, I look at the world wars and how many people went into battle knowing that there was a high chance of, of dying. Um, I've also, like, I love um, the, 
the espionage piece of World War II. And, and having come from, coming from England, there are a number of spies that went into France and into Germany and, and, you know, did, did undercover stuff that, you know, created, shifted the, the way of the war. But that type of thing that, you know, and many of them died that, you know, women and men were willing to put their lives on the line for their country. And I don't think, you know, there's, there's definitely people like you who are, who are soldiers and made that decision, but the average person would never even think of doing that. You know, if that's not in your realm and in, in what you're talking, you know, in what you're, what you would consider, like during the world wars, there were people, there were average people that would never have thought that they would do that, that went in and did that. And I just, you know, I look at, I've, I've questioned myself a lot in the past three years and, and past probably 10 years you know, what would I stand up for? What would I, I have kids, you know, they're the most important thing in the world to me. And I wouldn't do something that jeopardizes me in their life. So there's, you know, would I go do something that I had a high propensity of me being killed? No, I wouldn't, you know, I'm going to be completely honest, but I think it's, I, I just find it really interesting because I think the majority of people are much happier and in the internet and social media has made this so much easier to just sit behind their computer and become active behind their computer. And, and um, it, it's just a very different place we're at than, than where we have been in the past. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate everything you're saying. and I just wanted to bring it up because I think people need to become more conscious that being a sheep when you should be a shepherd, especially when your children are involved is comes with great cost. And, and, just to share as a guy who, you know, I was an 80, I was a paratrooper. So that's like the first level of an elite soldier. Then from there, you got Rangers, Green Berets, and then Delta Force. And I was asked to try out for Delta Force. Um, interesting story, but I'll save it for uh, another day because it's, I don't want to lose time talking to you, but I was asked to, to join Delta Force because I had all the kinds of qualifications they were looking for. And I had friends on Delta Force and I knew exactly what the risks were. And I said, I don't want to do it because, you know, I've got a wife and a child. And I, I, I think chances of me not coming home from a mission are too good. So I'll do the best I can do here. Right. <laughs> and, and, um, I've talked to a number of my friends that are, are in the elite echelons, be it Delta Force, SEALs, those types, recon rangers, et cetera. And, and said, look, you know, haven't you got any concern for the fact that you're being off to sent, sent off to kill people that you have no idea whether it's just or unjust? You're just shooting people because you were told to. I said, isn't that a little bit childish? And, and doesn't it concern you that you're taking lives from someone that could be a father or a mother and, and have kids, but may be completely innocent? And that you might be being fed false intel just to get you to do the job, which makes you a hitman, not someone who is fighting for justice. You know what the most common response I get is? What? I don't give a shit. I just enjoy doing my job. That's for them to decide. <laughs> well, I guess if that's your mentality, you know, that's the, but yeah, wow. All right. You know, and unfortunately there, there's just a lot of, young men, which not always real young, but guys between 25 and 40 that enjoy killing. And the military is a great place to go do it because you can 
get paid to kill people. And so it's like a sport for them. It's like sport hunting. And I was shocked. I mean, when I, the more I learned about what really went on and what the military, especially the American military, because that's the one I was in, was being used for, it just sickened me to my stomach. And that's when I started asking these questions. And, and the most common answer I got was, I don't give a shit. I just want to go do my job. It's fun and I get paid. And, and I don't want to know the answer to those questions because if you get too moral, I'll have nothing to do. You know, and, and yeah. I spent a lot of time in training too. So it's a sad, it just goes to show you that once again, we're in a, a, a world that's a kindergarten for immature souls. Hi, everybody. I'm super excited to tell you about Organifi Gold Chocolate, something that is very tasty and that my kids love. Organifi Gold Chocolate is a superfood hot chocolate healthy enough to drink every day. In fact, multiple times a day if you want. In fact, unlike most chocolate drinks that stimulate you and may disrupt your sleep if consumed after about four in the afternoon, my kids drink it right before bed, and unlike chocolate in general, it actually helps them sleep. Organifi Gold Chocolate doesn't include blood sugar spiking ingredients like other hot chocolate alternatives, leaving you feeling good about indulging in this healthy chocolate beverage. It was formulated to deliver the same amazing benefits as Organifi Gold, but with a delicious chocolate flavor to help curb those holiday cravings, which we all seem to get. Some of the key benefits of Organifi Chocolate Gold, or gold chocolate, is that it has 10 superfoods for rest and relaxation. 100% USD organic certified, tastes delicious in warm water and amazing with milk or milk alternatives, promotes and supports relaxation so you can fall asleep with ease, supports a better night's rest so you wake up refreshed, and promotes a healthier response to stress and gives calming support. As you know, what most people reach for when they want something super tasty and enjoyable is generally not healthy, but that's not the case with Organifi Gold Chocolate, which is USDA certified organic, certified gluten-free, and certified glyphosate residue-free, which is very important, dairy-free, which is great for guys like me, soya-free, which is very important, vegan, non-GMO, and clinically proven ingredients, 100% organic whole food, which means it's great for everyone. Save 20% on your purchase of Organifi Gold Chocolate by using the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20. That's check 20 on checkout. Go to Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I, dot com forward slash check 20 and again for your 20 percent living 40 discount use the code check 20 in all caps enjoy organifi gold chocolate my next discussion i want to have with you is about freedom of speech i recently saw the biden administration stated that anyone speaking against their narrative would be considered an extremist and that implies that they will be handled as an extremist uh, which is like being la labeled as a terrorist, which means you have no more rights and they can do whatever they want with you. And so they're certainly gutting uh, freedom of speech. Um, why do you feel freedom of speech is important? And, and what do you feel we should all be doing to protect it? Yeah, well, I want to start by saying I'm thankful that I live in the United States, because when you look at Australia or Canada, for example, they don't have the First Amendment. And, and so they're it really does make a difference what you say. Um, here, at least we have the First Amendment. And I do think when it comes down to it, you know, even in a state like California, even with Biden, our First Amendment rights still hold up in the court system. Uh, and so when we're talking to the public, I do, I do think there is 
that narrative, but I feel, I personally feel confident and it's why I speak out that I am, I do have the first amendment behind me <laughs> still. Um, I think if I was, if I were in Australia or a different country or, you know, Canada that didn't have a first amendment, I would, I would, I would be much more cognizant of what I say and whether, you know, how it fits and what would happen to me. Um, I think, you know, I do think having said that, you know, our freedom of speech is, is being censored. Our speech is being censored. And to me, it's a really interesting dynamic with social media and, you know, where we're, how much the anti anything you know the, the if you go against the corporate narrative the the government narrative how much people are being shadow banned and suppressed in that it's a place where i think it's really interesting and you know i always look for the silver lining in things and you know i look at covid and covid was brutal but at the same time there is a huge silver lining there it woke people up there are oh, yeah. so many fewer sheep in the in the world than there were three years ago. And I would say the same thing in 2015 with the vaccine mandate. If it weren't for that mandate, I would never be, I wouldn't be here. I mean, I may be here for a different reason, but I would never have woken up. I would never have met you. I would never have, you know, there are so many things that that I feel like they shot themselves in the foot on. And, and freedom of speech and censorship is one of them. You know, our doctors that wrote medical exemptions that didn't give vaccines, they were being censored back in 2015 and way before that. But, you know, I became aware of it in 2015 and it was like, wow, they can't speak. They can't, you know, Twitter is removing them, all of that type of stuff. It was in 2020, 21, when mainstream doctors, you know, these doctors that are the top of their field started getting silenced on social media and started getting, you know, taken off. And even our, even President Trump, whether you like him or hate him, the fact that our president was taken off Twitter. Yeah, I know that was quite a shocker. I was just like, wow, we are now at a place where this has become mainstream. This People understand this and people understand that there's censorship. And so for me, it actually was a beautiful thing that all these high level people, because they're speaking out and saying, I got thrown off Twitter. I got thrown off Facebook. I got you know banned on Instagram. And to me, it makes more and more people aware that this is a corrupt system and that that people are being censored. Um, and and so and and that freedom of speech, while we can still say whatever we want, and I do believe, you know, in the courts it will it it favors us. It's the one place that I do actually think there's enough, and it's because there's enough case law from history. But to me, there there is a a, a growing understanding that we have freedom of speech and that people should not be censored and that it is very clear. It is not even, there is one side of it and one chunk of information that is being censored and people, you know, I think the other thing in the last two, three years is the government, the trust for the government it's gone and to the floor. agencies is on the floor oh, and yeah. for, for so many people and you know that again to me is the silver lining like if it weren't for covid we wouldn't have any of this stuff happening which to me is positive it's it's negative in the short run but it's positive in the long run yeah and you know and, and another silver lining is you know i own a health institute and since 
the beginning of COVID, we've had record sales of all of our public health books and courses and uh, very high numbers of students coming in to take holistic health as a, as a career. And, you know, people are really realizing you got to take care of yourself because there's nobody out there that's trying to take care of you or interested and it's all a scam. So, you know, I, I think there's definitely some good aspects to it. And I also think that COVID has just illuminated our, the shadow of humanity worldwide. So we can see the corruption in the medical system, the justice system and, and all these other things. And interestingly enough, um, somebody that I know personally used to be, uh, was raised in Berlin and he was a, uh, Olympic medalist. And I was recently having a conversation with him and I said, it's interesting that you live over here now and you, you know, you're here while all this COVID stuff's going down and you're seeing all this censorship. I said, what rises up in you as a guy who was raised in East Germany? And he says, Paul, I've seen all of this before. And let me tell you, it's bad. It's bad news. And what it leads to is worse. And he said, it shocks me how stupid Americans are because they're not paying attention. And anyone like me that's lived in this sees the handwriting right on the wall, clear as a bell. He said, you need, he said, he's speaking to me, but he said, you guys, Americans need to wake the hell up before it's too late. And I've seen multiple interviews with people that survived Nazi Germany saying exactly the same thing. And even, even people who, who have come out of communist Russia um, after that, same thing. Yes. The next thing I wanted to talk to you about, I was really impressed to see The Invisible Rainbow by Arthur Furstenberg on your website. I'm, I've made contact with him and, and he wasn't feeling very well, but he said once he's up to it, he'll get back to me and do a podcast with me. I studied that book thoroughly. Yes. He's fascinating. I love his research. He goes very in depth. It's an area that it's, it's about, for those who don't know, it's about EMFs. Um, electromagnetic frequencies and 5g and and all of that stuff and and the entire history of electricity and its effects on human beings and animals and forests yes, and, and as, as different um types of electricity it's not really types of electricity but different things have been introduced waveforms thank you have been introduced how they have affected humankind um and, and animals as you say but it, it it to me you know it's one area that i'm not uh I know enough about to be dangerous and I, I, I think is really interesting, but I don't, I haven't like gone deep, deep down that rabbit hole. So his books are, um, fascinating and his, he has a, um, newsletter too, which I find fascinating just to read because he, and I know sad. I can trust him for the research. I can trust him to tell me what, what the deal is. <laughs> I, I, you know, I dread reading that newsletter because it just makes me so sad, you know? Yes, that's true too. <laughs> it's just like, oh my God, you know, it's just like people have no idea how far down the rabbit hole we are and how we're just literally killing nature. And I've talked about a lot of these things on previous podcasts, so I won't go too far into it, but I will say, you know, my job in the military was to repair weapon systems on Cobra helicopters. And I spent a year in advanced electronics training and I know a fair bit about it. And I've done a lot of research, not only into the use of electronic technologies to uh, kill people, but to control people. And there's been a lot done and it goes all the way back to the 1930s. And so, 
you know, in The Invisible Rainbow, as you know, he talks about how every time they built a new radar tower or radio station tower, influenza broke out. And so I'm just curious as to your thoughts as the connection between it was interesting, as you surely know, when COVID kicked off, they were putting 5G systems in schools everywhere and all yeah, over the place. And, and they were launching the satellites too. Yes, exactly. And and keep trying to keep that secret. And so I just thought I would ask you just out of curiosity, do you think there might be any connection to all the 5G exposure and, and all the cases that are being labeled as COVID, but may be actually from um, EMF poisoning? Yeah. So I, I wouldn't rule it out. Let me put it that way. I'm, as I said, I'm not well enough versed in this to be able to, and I don't think the research has been fully done to be able to say yes, absolutely or no. I would say one thing that, you know, my perspective is, is that, that it definitely, again, wears on your immune system. You know, there are clear when people have smart meters put on the side of their house that they then, you know, stop sleeping as well. They then, have headaches. They, you know, so clearly there is a correlation and they don't even realize it. And then you're just like, well, do you have a smart meter? And they're like, yeah, it's on the other side of my bed. And I'm like, okay, on the other side of the wall from my bed. And I'm like, okay, well maybe move your bed or, you know, put a guard or try and get the smart meter removed. And they're like, oh, you think? And I'm like, yeah, I think. <laughs> um, but so to me, again, it comes with our our system, our immune system, our body is, you can put it to the maximum and you, or you can put it to the minimum. And if you're exposed to 5G or electromagnetic frequency, do I believe that erodes your system? 100% yes. So, you know, and does that allow you to then get sick? Yes. I'm, I believe, you know, and I know there's, there's many people that believe you're there's, you know, the new form of like terrain theory and that, you know, viruses may not exist and it may just be the environment. I personally believe, and this is just from the research I've done, I encourage everyone to do their own research and come to their own conclusion. But my perspective is that there are, you know, viruses and, and stuff, but I believe it's in your body all the time. Like I believe we have, you know, we, it's known we have cancer cells in our body all the time. It's known that we are exposed to thousands of things every single day that our body is bombarded with them. The question is, how good is your body at retaliating against those and fighting those? And if you have a, you know, if you do all the right things to stay healthy and to keep your system as close to 100%, then you're not going to get sick as much. If you are exposing yourself environmentally and food-wise and not exercising, et cetera, et cetera, then you're going to get sick. And so that's where, you know, my perspective on that is, or where I think it goes, and, you know, I may be wrong, I'm just, it, it's from my reading, is that do does EMF affect people and make them sick? Yes. Is it, does it surprise me that they put up, you know, radio stations or whatever and people got influenza? No, not at all. Do I think the EMF is causing the influenza? I don't personally. I personally think it's their immune system and their, you know, their, their, body is worn down by it, which allows them to get sick. Humpty Dumpty just gets pushed off the wall. Exactly. It's, exactly. it's just, you know, when you're vulnerable, it doesn't take much to push you over the edge. And that's why I teach foundation principles, nutrition, hydration, sleep, breathing, thinking, and movement. You can't be healthy if you don't have an awareness 
of your nutrition, your hydration, your sleep, your breathing, the management of your own mind, and moving your body. There's just no way to escape that. Speaking of the virus issue, uh, two podcasts ago, I had Andrew Kaufman, MD, on, on my show. So we get deep into that. And also, uh, for those listeners, there are very good EMF protective devices. Some of the best in the world uh, are made by Ibrahim Karim, the founder of Biogeometry. And I have three podcasts with him and uh, one is with his daughter, Dorea, who's a genius as well. And uh, my 200th episode was celebrated with Ibrahim Karim discussing his new book, which is comprehensive. And there's also uh, currently right on Gaia TV right now, Robert J. Gilbert's series on sacred geometry has a special episode devoted to biogeometry. And it's absolutely phenomenal. I think everybody should see it. Not only that, the studies on plants, on animals, on entire populations of showing what Ibrahim Karim would be demonstrated scientifically and objectively, undeniably that biogeometry does to protect people is mind boggling how powerful it is. And it's very, very inexpensive. You can get a home kit for $250. It attaches to your uh, electrical inputs, to your water inputs, does your whole house. A kit will uh, handle a 4,000 square foot house. I also have a podcast with Dmitry Sorov, the founder of Aries Tech, which is uh, also scientifically validated EMF protection. So those of you that haven't listened to the Ibrahim Kareem, Doria Kareem, and or Dor- Dmitry Sorov podcast, there are some very good technologies I've discussed and I personally use. And, and Angie is a, a trained biogeometry, advanced trained biogeometry practitioner. She's helped countless people heal even from serious, serious life-threatening illnesses in terminal care wards and help them turn around with biogeometry. The next thing I wanted to, to touch on with you is, you know, this whole World Economic Forum, you'll own nothing and be happy. They seem to be behind a hell of a lot of what's going on. Um, Bill Gates and Justin Trudeau and, Trudeau and Gavin Newsom are all graduates of his leadership program, which is a deep concern to me, especially being in California with Mr. I want to please my daddy, Klaus Schwab Newsom. Um, in fact, I wrote on Twitter uh, yesterday, someone was talking about Newsom passing a bill. Uh, I can't remember what bill it was, but it was um, not good. And I wrote back, uh, Newsom is spelt incorrectly. It's actually spelt nuisance. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm just curious, what do you think is going on with this World Economic Forum issue? How does this playing out in inside of your internal dialogue. Yeah. Well, I think it's very real. Um, You know, interesting, if anyone who hasn't been to the World Economic Forum website, go there and, you know, they outline exactly what happened in the, even three years ago, they outlined exactly what was going to happen in the next three years and their view for, you know, their goal for um, the future. And and it really lines up, you know, to me, it, it they are, they, you know, when we talk about they are doing this, to me, the World Economic Forum is is who that is. They are very, uh, you know, they're they are globalists. It's it. I believe they are the reason behind why when you know one country say, or one leader says we're going to build back better, and suddenly that day everyone say we're going to build back better, and it's it, the World Economic Forum. It, 
their mantra is we're going to build back better. I mean, Klaus Schwab wrote a book, The Great Reset, that outlined everything that, you know, that has been tried, not necessarily succeeded, but been tried. And so to me, I I think they are that elite. They're they're the elite that we need to topple. Um, it is very scary when you look at who they have groomed um, and and have infiltrated. I mean, there's a there's a video of Klaus, uh, Klaus Schwab saying, you know, we've we've gotten into fifty percent of I think it was the Canadian government. Um, you know, their leaders. We've 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 got them. You know, we've got over fifty percent. We're good there. Um, it really, really concerns me, and and probably they are the the one uh, organization. And when I say that, I mean all their students, all their people that that follow that. It's really the elite that are are driving this and are the most concerning to me. Now, you know, people then say to me, "Well, what should we do about them?" And my perspective is that's where we come into this having an alternate system. You can't, we, the only way to topple them is to have a system outside the system that doesn't conform to their, you'll be happy and own nothing. No, I won't be happy when I own nothing. I can promise you that. There are many people in this world that I think will be. <laughs> yeah. You know what I say to them? You, you first show us what it looks like. Yes, exactly. Give us all your wealth. Give up all your airplanes and all your chefs, and 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 let's see you do the experiment first. And 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 you're absolutely right. They are the biggest hypocrites in this whole. Totally. Thing. You know, I mean, flying into Davos, all of them on their little planes or big planes, not even little planes. You know, each individually, and then talking about climate change and how bad this all is for the climate. And I'm sitting there going, okay, yeah, as you fly in. Well, not only that. One of the things they say they're doing is trying to protect nature. But if you track the companies that they own, they're the most polluting, dangerous, oil drilling, fracking, crazy. They are the ones that have destroyed the planet. So they're blaming it on us and saying, now they're going to charge us carbon taxes and all this crap. I'm like, is anyone even paying attention to this? I mean, it's just like unbelievable. I, I, you know, the word I want to use is is leads with an F, but it's just, uh, you know, this is sickening. And 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 I, my personal feeling is you got to disconnect yourself from the tools they use against you. If you depend on the government for power and you're not using solar, or if you don't have your own food sources and your own water sources, you're playing right into their control dramas. And, you know, look what's going on all over the world. You know, I saw a, a, a thing on, uh, I think it was Twitter. Uh, it was a farmer in, in Europe who must have a very big farm, but his, his, his propane bill for one month was something like 1.3 million euros because of the increases in cost of gas. And I'm like, they're, they're trying to basically take the food system out. They're trying to take everything out. So people become utterly dependent upon them and they have their buyback program. Once they get you down on your knees, we'll buy it back, but then you got to conform to our vaccinations, our mandates, our technology. So really what you become is a corporately farmed animal at that point. I mean, what you become is somewhere between, you know, Brave New World and 1984 is where, is where, you know, I don't think we're quite there yet, but we're, we're getting very close if we projected that, um, that side of it. And that's why, again, I say, you know, you're right. We have to get out of that system. You have to be 
and, and, you know, people say to me, but Christina, I can't grow my own food. I can't homeschool. I can't do this. And my answer is do as much as you can work out. What is it? And have goals. You know, what is it? Okay. You can't do it this year, but can you, you know, grow? I live in a townhouse. I have like a patio with, with my, with my raised flower beds across it. And, and I've grown, you know, probably we have beans, we have tomatoes, we have, uh, broccoli, cauliflower, you know, strawberries, you know, it's not a huge amount of my food, but it, it at least makes me feel like, okay, I've got something. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm going to grow this. I'm going to make it bigger. I want to go bigger. Um, but you know, it's little things like that, that once you get in that mindset, it's like, oh, okay, I can do this. I can now go to a bigger step of it. It's taking that first step, but we have to get out. I agree with you completely. We have to get out and they are making it harder and harder for people to not fall further and further into the system and and be reliant on the system by by increasing the cost of gas by increasing um you know the cost of by by removing food sources um i mean like where was it is it denmark or or i think it's denmark maybe the nether yeah but one of those countries you know put a put a law in place that only they were cutting methane gas. And so they had to cut down the number of farms that they had. And it's like, how does that make any sense at all? Like it makes zero sense to me that you're now cutting out your food so that you can get food from somewhere else or eat bugs. You know, that's the other option. Well, yeah, not only that, having studied this extensively, I come from a farming family. I've studied soil science extensively. I know all about it. That whole fallacy that, 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 uh, Farming animals is a major contributor to the greenhouse effect is absolute bullshit. I, I agree. If you study <laughs> literally and figuratively, <laughs> yes. If you study free range animal farming and natural farming, it actually holds carbon and it's a natural system that works. What they're not doing is distinguishing corporate farming from real farming, and 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 they're just lying to people. And, and interestingly, in my book, you know, I have a, a long, uh, comprehensive collection of rare and old medical books, and I've got books citing very clearly that during the First and Second World War, due to food shortages, 50% of the population worldwide began growing food in their backyard so they could eat, and medical illnesses went through the floor. People got healthier than ever, and as soon as the wars were over, and all the food processing factories started up again, people started getting sick again. In fact, one of the citations was that funeral home directors were complaining because hardly anybody was dying. And so, wow. you know, the, the people that say, oh, I can't do that. I say, well, what, what, can you live without money? Can you live with triple the energy bill? Can you live being tethered to an electronic device and being a guinea pig? People just aren't actually thinking this through. They're going to wait until it's too late. A lot of them, and, and yeah, they're they're. I, I think, and it's a it's a part of our society today. We live much more in the here and now, the today. What do I need to get done today? Because we're so much more rushed. We're so much more, you know, got so much more going on that it's. I just need to get through today, get through tomorrow. But we don't have a long term plan of. Like, what do we want for our life? We're just on this sort of treadmill of life. And, and it's not a thought of, okay, what do I actually want to be doing? What are my goals and how do I get there? If I want to own a farm and grow my own food, 
what does that look like? What does it take for me to do that? Where would I do that? What what do I need? What's the wherewithal? Or if that's not what you want to do, you know, what is the community that I want to go live in where exactly. I have access to that? But I'm actually the, you know, the the I don't know, the doctor or the dentist in that. Yes, exactly. You know, or, that type of thing. Like, what, I, what is it? Yeah, or I live in a community and I go to the farm and say, what can I do to help? I'm not a farmer, but I can open feed bags. I can uh, help with irrigation. You know, what, what? give me a job so that I can contribute and then know that I can get some food and some water or whatever. I mean, it's not that hard. Uh, you know, most people put more effort into balancing their checkbook than they do the thinking about what they need to do to keep their, themselves and their family safe, which is, you know, you know, it's like this whole vaccine thing. People do more research on a new toaster or a new cell phone than they did on the vaccines they're getting injected with. <laughs> I mean, it just is just like crazy. You know, one of the things that I, I noticed, I'm surely you know who Peter McCullough is, yes. the cardiologist, and, and I watched his videos as they came out and continued to come out. And in the beginning, he stated clearly, this is not a vaccine, it's a tracking device. And I, I, I know of at least three videos where he clearly stated that, but then he started changing his tune by the time he was on Joe Rogan, he wasn't mentioning any of that. And then you start looking into the, the patents Bill Gates has, and he has got many patents. In fact, he had a Corona 19, coronavirus 19 patent came out three months before the pandemic started. So he's patented a, a engineered virus and, and he owns that. He's also got patents on the tracking software, on the money software. Uh, you know, so there's a, there's a lot of, uh, you know, deep, twisted, sick shit going on here, um, yes. for lack of a, a better term. And that's a, dis, uh, you know, it's not being fair to shit either because shit's got a purpose. Um, <laughs> what do you think is going on from your perspective with the vaccine being used as a tracking device more so than an actual vaccine? So, of course, we're crazy if we ever say that. Uh, but I, I, you know, to me, I, what I have said from the beginning, and it also goes with the nasal swabs that, you know, sticking stuff up your nose. Do I have any idea if there's anything on those? Do I have anything, any idea if the, if the vaccine has a tracking device? I have no idea. What I do know is do we have today in this world the capability to do that? Do, Absolutely. do pharmaceutical companies have it? Do universities have it? Do do we have it? Yes, 100%, no doubt about it. So the question for me is, could it be in there? 100%. Do I have any idea if it's in there? I don't. And I and I, you know, I can't say one way or another, but you know, there is a piece of me that's well, okay, they have the they have the functionality they are pushing this vaccine so damn hard and it's either just about the money which it may very well be because these people at the top have made billions and billions and billions off of this pandemic so and and they are completely money hungry even though they already have billions and billions and billions but you know it's they need to add some more zeros to their billions so could it be completely financially driven yes it could because i do believe that that is their you know, a driving force of their life existence. Well, the whole tracking agenda is a financial agenda. Right. It's the same agenda. It is. Yes. You know, do I think that they did it? I, I don't know, but it, you know, if I, let me put it this way. I often put myself in other people's shoes, right? And if I were in their shoes, would it make sense to have a tracking device? A 100%, 100%. 
like it would be it would absolutely make sense the one thing that i do believe though is that i think that covid came maybe 5 maybe 10 years too early from their perspective of everything they wanted to get done and i think they got greedy and they they moved it forward but i wonder whether that technology was really there um I, the other piece to me is the fact that these the major Western vaccines are mRNA vaccines. mRNA vaccines are very technology vaccine driven vaccines. They're not like old vaccines. Old vaccines are much more like med, like you know medications kind of thing. Um, mRNA vaccines are technology driven. And so to me, you know if there's something that to be put in them, that would be the one. The other question I have is why did China never ever and and Russia never take up the the mRNA vaccines? Was it that they were on their high horse and they had their own thing, or was it because they feared something like this? Or you know, they so knew China has their own track. I mean, China is so into tracking everyone that I have no idea, you know, on that front either. I'm sure most of you are aware, even though you may not like the taste of organs, that organ meats are extremely important and good for you. And I've got great news for you. Paleo Valley makes an amazing grass-fed organ complex that's unique and better than anything I've ever found out there. So much better. I wanted you to hear right from Autumn Smith, its creator, exactly what you're going to get from their grass-fed organ complex. Autumn, get us informed on why we should be using your amazing organ complex. Okay. Well, like you said, organ meats are nature's multivitamins. And when we use them, we feel this energy and this stamina. And most people don't like the flavor. So what we did was we took grass-fed and finished organs like liver and heart and kidney, and we just put them into capsules so that you can get all the benefits, the beautiful benefits of organ meats without actually having to taste them, without liver burps, of course. And they're just freeze-dried. So again, they're not processed heavily in any way whatsoever, and they are sourced from American farmers using regenerative agricultural practices. And all you have to do to try it out is go to our website at paleovalley.com. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. And you can use the code CHECK15, and that's lowercase c-h-e-k-15. And I sincerely hope you love it. Part of the problem with with what's going on in the world right now is there is so many possibilities and there's evidence for so many things all at the same time. It gets to be almost schizophrenic. And I think part of the use of propaganda is to confuse people to the point where they don't know what the truth is. And, you know, I even, I'm, um, have you seen the documentary social dilemma? Yes. Yes. Well, you know, you saw right in there, the engineers that developed um, social media said, one of the guys from Google said, the problem is nobody knows what the truth is anymore. We don't even know what it is. And so when you, when you get people to the point where nobody knows what the truth is, I think that's when things get really dangerous because you have a compass with no north on it anymore. And so it really, now everybody just labels everything a conspiracy theory be- theory because it makes him comfortable enough not to have to think about it. Got it. Yes, I agree with you completely. On the, going, just going back on the tracking device, though, I mean, the interesting thing is, is they don't actually need a tracking device unless they're doing biometric data. Well, they are. Maybe. But your phone, I mean, every single person 
bar a very small percentage, walks around with their phone 100% of the time. Your phone is in your hand, on your butt, you know, wherever it is. And so to me, you know, when, when they first started doing the contact tracing and the phone thing, you know, I told my kids, you're not upgrading your, your, the iOS on, or the, the system on your phone, because I don't want tracking on, you know, I don't want them to know where you are. And then, and, you know, people would say to me, oh, that's just crazy, Christina, that's crazy. And of course, you know, to a year later, it comes out that, you know, the American government was tracking all these phones and contact tracing purposes. And I'm like, yep, I did tell you so. So to me, you know, it's, I, I don't know, again, I don't know what, you know, I know they have the capabilities. I don't know what it is, but if people are worried about tracking, your phone is your number one tracking device. Yes, it's it's the biometric data. Bill Gates is trying to do it with farm animals. He's doing it by putting it into plants. He's putting it under tractors. I mean, he's going freaking bananas. Did you read or hear about probably or read uh, Von Donashiva's book, Oneness versus the One Percent? Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, that just lays Bill Gates on the table. And she's got a lot of experience dealing with him in India. Yeah, and, she has. She's uh, an amazing she, woman. <laughs> she, yeah, she's a... She's an angel of, of health and, and truth. And so, you know, when you read that book, you know, it's not even a leap at all. It's one next step to everything we're talking about because he's already trying to do it and he's already been trying to do it in India and it's caused lots of trouble. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very interesting thing. You know, the movie that, that keeps popping into my head when I watch what's going on in the world is Hunger Games. It looks like, leader trying to corral us all up to be their little toys so they can do what they want with us and own the world. And, you know, you're sort of stuck inside their fence, like the people in Hunger Games outside of the kind of the the building or compound there and was the seeming emptiness of desert. And, and it's like, they're trying to, to create that. And at the same time, um, I think it's really a rite of passage ceremony that for, for, human beings to become adults and take responsibility for their own well-being, their own health, their own resources. And religion and corporations and institutions of education have long kept people um, trained not to think uh, effectively, but to do what they're told and and to memorize somebody else's ideas and believe them without fact-checking them. And so I think it's just time that people wake up and take responsibility for how they use their money, the choices they make and the future they want to live and the planet, because, you know, the planet's on its, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's dying. And and anybody that studies anything about that knows that's the truth. I'm curious if you look inside your metaphorical crystal ball and become our, 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 our psychic for a little bit. What do you see happening in the next two, five, and 10 years in the U.S. and worldwide? Um, I think some of the population will fall back deep asleep, <laughs> or maybe they didn't even wake up at, at all thus far. But I think most people got jolted a little bit um, in the last three years. But I do think, you know, I do think we are coming, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, around in a cycle where the people take back over from the elite. And I I don't know how long that will take. I think if we have a few more of these types of things, it will go much faster than if if they, you know, die down for a bit and then come back. Um I think the the 
you know, I look at two years, I think not much is going to change. Five years, 10 years, I think, I think stuff is going to change. I think people are just going to become more aware of how crazy the world is and, and that these leaders, these elite are not in touch with what they need. You know, I think it, it very much is that 1% versus the rest and the rest are becoming more aware. The rest are becoming more awake. I, you know, I will come back to, I think COVID had a huge silver lining. You know, if it weren't for COVID, you and I may not be talking today. That's if it right. Yeah. COVID, so many people wouldn't be questioning vaccines. So many people wouldn't be questioning the government and the the fact that they lost their businesses or lost their income or lost their, you know, children lost their, you know, had their children at home have children that are suicidal, depressed, all the rest of it. So I think more and more people are waking up, and I just hope that those people think about what is your life? What do you want your life to be in the next five years, 10 years? What do you want to change? Do you want, you know, are you worried about food? Are you worried about electricity? Are you worried about those things? Don't just sit home and do nothing, like do something to change your life. And it's, you know, as I said, it doesn't need to be, you don't need to go from being at home in a town, in a city, relying on everything to living off the grid, you know, sustaining yourself 100%. There are gradations in there, but work out what you can do today. Work out what you can do in two years, in five years, in 10 years. Find the people, find the other people that think like you in your area or work out where, you know, if you moved, where would you move to? Um, those are all things that I I see happening and and growing. I think it will you know, I think it will take time to get to the place that we are, unless they mess up again. And by they, I mean the, the elites, um, because I think this this hurtled us forward in in where we needed to be significantly. Um, I, I think those are the, those are those are really my thoughts. I do think it will be a very different world in in five ten years time because of what's happened. But I do look and see a lot of brightness from people like you and me. And people who have woken up and want to make a change and really want to live their lives as they want to live them and not, you know, be happy with nothing. Right. And, 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 and I think there are more and more of those people around and, and growing. And so those people need to come together and, and create something. And I think it, you know, it is happening globally. I mean, that's the other thing with COVID is that it happened globally. It didn't just happen in one country. And I'm, I'm going to, again, say it's a silver lining that we're all going through this together. We now have, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people around the world that are thinking the same way as you and I on these issues, which there, even if they were that way before, they didn't have a coming together. They didn't have a unifying force. Exactly. And, and so I see it as we, we will be in a better place. Will everyone be in a better place? No, they won't. But will there be a better place for people to come to and and it be more prevalent and more sustainable and and greater? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And you know, speaking of the people that that uh, think it's too much to do to to, you know, create a sustainable place, have your own power, your own water, your own food. One of the simple things that you of all people know that you can do is start putting money into a community-supported agricultural system. Right. You know, yep. look online. You can find them. And if you can't, start one. You know, my son started one in Los Angeles. There wasn't one in there at all. And this is, you know, like 20 years ago. My son's 43. But, 
you know, I, I, I remember he came back, he was living in LA and working there and had his own business there. And he said, dad, I I'm starting a, a, a community supported agricultural delivery system in LA. Cause there's not one anywhere in the city. So he may be the first one to have started one in LA. Yeah. And <laughs> sure I, he was at that time. <laughs> yeah. And one of my students started the first one in Miami. And so, you know, the, the two things I think are very important is food and water and, rem- and, and, and remembering that every dollar you spend is either contributing to the solution or the problem. And so when it comes to putting money into the hands of farmers that are taking care of the soil and taking care of yes, you absolutely. by giving you clean, nutritious food, because y- y- you can't think well if you're sick and you, if you're eating poison and garbage your thoughts and emotions mirror that right back to you and your energy levels mirror that back to you. And if you don't have enough energy and vitality to even run your immune system, you're certainly not going to be contributing to dealing with the issues of the world that we all need to. And I think that's also part of their strategy. If you make everyone sick, tired, and scared, that they just want to lay down and play dead and get rescued by Daddy Schwab, which, which is, you know, falling right into the trap. So I think Along what you're saying, one of the beautiful things of COVID is it's inspired a lot of people to wake up, clean up, grow up, and show up, to use Ken Wilber's term. term. And I think it's time to wake up, clean up, grow up, and show up. I agree. <laughs> or, or, or the future looks very much like a corporate farm, except instead of pigs, it's people. And that's, that's their choice. You know, people, when I'm teaching my students... I talk about the issues of overuse of medical drugs and the dangers of that. And I say, look, you're going to find there's two kinds of patients you're going to come across. Those that are willing to do the work to heal, grow, and change who don't need drugs because they handle their problems and they see that they have a participatory role in healing. And those that are too lazy, and that's who goes to the drug companies because they want their symptoms to go away without having to participate. And I, I think we're going to see the world population divide into those two camps. Those that are are going to take self-responsibility and those that just want to be pacified and, and keep eating junk food and watching brainwashing television and playing dead until they're really dead. And I, I don't think anything either of us can do about it or anyone can do about it because that's their choice. And I, I want to honor that choice. I just don't want to be sucked into their passive game. I agree completely. <laughs> by, by not participating, you know, freedom to me is worth dying for it. I will, I will fight to the death for my freedom and know that I did the best I could while I was here because that's dying out of honor and love and respect for freedom. And there's no better cause than that because without freedom, what do you have really? Right. What do yep. you have? I agree, but, but I agree with you that, you know, there is a group of people and a significant portion of the population that would prefer to just, you know, take the pills, eat the food, lie on the couch, do nothing. And that's their life. And, and, you know, I agree with you that, you know, that's their choice. Uh, you know, if, if you choose to do that, that's, that's your choice. I don't agree with that. <laughs> and maybe, you know, I look at it sometimes and I'm like, well, if you were that, then you wouldn't have any, I mean, you have a lot of worries in the world. Don't get me wrong, but you're, you're not working as hard in the world. Hmm. <laughs> but, but no, I'm, I'm with you completely on that. Yeah. You're not working as hard, but the thing is you don't even know who you are anymore because you're not home anymore. You know, there, you're, you're, you know, novel Harari has said the soul is bullshit. God is bullshit. We're going to hack you, control you. 
and your idea of free will is out the window. You're ours. And, you know, if you want to be a remote control zombie, then go for it. Uh, I will be happy to watch the experiment from my farm. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Are there any closing comments that you'd like to share or any resources you want to share uh, anything as we close? I don't think this was a wonderful conversation. I just want to say thank you for that. I think, you know, as I said, it's a, the other thing that I would say to people, and I say this a lot in my activism side of things, it's a marathon and not a sprint. We're in this for the long haul. You know, if you want to live till you're to a ripe old age, you're going to keep, once you, once you opened your eyes, you can't close them again. You can't put your head under the rock again. So it's, it is a long haul that you're, that you're in for, but it is, it is so satisfying. And, but, but you need to take it at a pace. You can't, you know, you can't do any of this at a thousand percent because you're going to get burnt out. And so it, it is one thing that I, I really say to people is take it, take it at the pace that you are going to withstand this for the next, you know, whether it's however old you are, but till you're 90 or a hundred years old, that's where, you know, maybe we're living older than that when we get there, but, but you know, that that's your goal. So, you know, you're, most people aren't even halfway there, or if they are, you know, not much more than halfway there. So, you know, it's, it's, I would say, or, you know, if you are in your eighties, then you got another 10 years. So make sure you, you make the most of it. Um, so, so to me, it's, you know, just knowing that, you can you can get worn out, especially on the activism front. You can get worn out very quickly. And people say to me, how do you keep going, Christina? And it's because I look at this as a long-term thing. This isn't ever going away in my life. I'm never going to give this up. You know, even if I move to a farm and, and ha- you know, have, my, have my dream place, I'm never going to give this up because it will be there. And, and if I do have to give it up, it's because we've won. It's because we've come to the point where the world is beautiful and, and we're all living this way. But I don't think it's going to be in my lifetime that we're all there. So there will always be that piece of it. <laughs> I like the saying, I don't know who is the origin of it, but it's uh, think global, act local. Yes, I completely I, I agree think with that. Lo- yeah. We got to think about what we all want for each other, our future, and how how we care for the planet. Because we, you know, without the planet healthy, we're all doomed anyhow. But then act locally, because then you're making a change. You know, in the example I give my students, I say, look, water shortages are getting to be a very real issue. They say by the year twenty. 30 that water will be more expensive than gasoline because of water shortages. I say, so let me just give you an example of, of how you can participate. If there's 7 billion people on the planet and each of us just flush the toilet one time less a day, the average toilet is about three gallons per flush. That's 27 billion gallons of water. And all you had to do was not flush the toilet one time. So if you if you think, okay, you're growing some vegetables on your patio in your condo, um, the other guy is offering this service, and the other guy is saying, hey, look, um, I know where you can get some clean water. There's a spring 20 miles from here, and it's free. Or you go to uh, like a findaspring.com is a website. You can find water springs all over the world with quality drinking water, but most people don't know it. So you say, okay, I'm going to go fill up. I'm going to go load my truck with uh, 200 gallons of water and bring it back. And someone says, okay, look, I'll, I'll pay you. I'll pitch in. 
So there's just a, my point is if we look at how the brain works, we've got about 3 billion neurons, each of which doesn't do anything meaningful by itself, but the collective is consciousness. So if we, if we just each say, what can I do? And it can be sharing scientific sources that are reliable. It can be sharing your, your uh, website. It can be sharing children's health defense. It can be uh, Sayer G's Green Med Info. It can be turning people on to Sherry Tenpenny, Christine Northrup, um, the, the real dog. Like if we just each be conscious that we need to do things to protect ourselves and support the, the health of the community, the culture, and the planet. If you just take a few minutes and say, what can I do to even just spend my money on things that aren't supporting corporations that are poisoning the planet? You're doing something. And if a bunch of us do that together, then the world's going to change pretty quickly. Yeah, it is. It's, it reminded me when you were saying that of a, a sort of mantra that I have and that I tell people a lot when I give speeches. And that is, you know, the other piece is we have to get more people involved and more people aware and you're not going to make people aware and involved overnight like they're they you know it, it takes time but if you can plant the seed for one person every day and if every you know that's 365 people that I would do 365 people that you would do you and I have a much broader range and just from this podcast we're going to get to more people but for the average person if you can just and when I say plant the seed it truly is just saying something that doesn't necessarily make them wake up and go, oh my God, I didn't even think of that. If they do that, that's great. But, you know, especially with the COVID vaccine, you know, to me, they're, they're again, a silver lining. It, it has allowed me to have conversations about vaccine manufacturing, about adverse events, about, you know, oh, well, interesting, you got COVID and you were double boosted. Wow. And you got really sick. Yeah, I had COVID. I didn't get that sick, but I took, you know, ivermectin and vitamin c and d and zinc and all the rest of it and my immune system just having those conversations with people not forcing your opinions on people but just planting the seeds and then watering them people do you know there's a group that won't ever shift but there are a number of people that then it comes back and you know it's like oh you're, you're, you remember, yeah, I remember when she said that, you know, this and this about immunity, or I should take zinc. And, you know, she mentioned ivermectin, and that's like hooey. But, but maybe, maybe I should see if I can get some somewhere, you know, that type of thing. It's just, it's planting those seeds and making the conscious awareness greater. I call it being an information Santa Claus. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you know, Santa Claus doesn't judge you when, yes. when, you know, of course we're talking myth, but right. Santa Claus doesn't, doesn't, um, say, well, you don't make enough money to have this toy or you're, you're the wrong race, you know, right. Santa Claus gives to give. Yeah. And I, I think if we each become an information Santa Claus and say, oh, did you hear about this interview with Christina Hildebrand and Paul check? They talked a lot about these issues. Then you're giving third party endorsement. Then they're not going to attack you. Yes, that's true. They're just going to yes. say, "Oh, that those people are crazy." But th the problem is, if they listen, then the seeds are already planted. Even if they get pissed off, the seeds are already planted, and now it's in their awareness. I know you can't unthink it. You can't unthink it. You can't unsee it. So I, I think, I think it's strangely enough, it's an exciting time. You yes, know, I, I agree with you. I agree with you on that one. Yeah, it can be bumpy, 
but hey, you know, life is a journey. And, you know, if, you, if, <laughs> if everything was just peaches and roses all the time, people would get bored and start shit anyhow. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yep. So sometimes we need, we need a little uh, hard work and a little stress to help us remember what it is that really makes life worth living and then go out and recreate it. And I think, I think that's the beauty. And, and I think, you know, this whole thing, you know, we were, we were moving already looking, we've been looking for five years before we found our place. So we wanted to raise the kids on this farm. We wanted to, you know, have everything we needed to be sustainable because that's our beliefs. That's what we teach at the Institute. That's how I want to raise my kids. But I really am grateful that my children are growing up in an environment so that no matter where they go, when they leave home, they know what real food is. They know how to plant seeds. They know how to take care of animals. They know how to find water. They know basic survival skills. They've gotten a real education and they'll be really hard to trick. And so I think if this whole situation inspires parents to pay more attention to what their children are being educated and by who, then it, it can we can reseed the generation coming out because there's been enough stress and shock to say, okay, I got to take responsibility for educating my kids for what's coming, or they haven't got a chance. They they don't have a snowball's chance in hell if if they're not ready for it. I agree. I agree. <laughs> so, what are your? Give us your your two different websites again. A voice for choice advocacy.org or one word, uh, F O R for four. Uh, a voice for choice advocacy.org is our, uh, advocacy 501c4. We do have a voice for choice, which is our 501c3, which is more education oriented. Um, and then for anyone in the San Francisco Bay Area, our food delivery service that I mentioned, um, is realfoodbayarea.com. Realfoodbayarea.com. And what's the section of a voice for choice advocacy.com that has all the videos and um, resources that, that you share? Is it called products or is it? It's merchandise. I merchandise, think. yeah. Forward slash shop. Right. I really recommend you have a lot of excellent. I mean, I've got a lot of great stuff too, but you had stuff that I hadn't even seen. And, <laughs> and I'm like, wow, if I wasn't writing my book right now and busy 24 seven, I would be buying a bunch of this stuff and checking it out. So I, I would encourage all of you. And, and here's a great way to be an information Santa Claus. If you got someone with a birthday coming up, or Christmas coming up, go to Christina's website and say, what's something here I can buy for someone to help educate them and give it to them as a gift and then let them make up their own mind. So Christina, thank you so much for everything you're doing. Um, you're welcome. And thank you for having me on. This was a great conversation. You know, my whole family is very grateful. Um, and I'm sure many are. Um, and I've turned a lot of people onto your website. When you, when you put that trolley bill out, I was on the phone calling everybody I knew in San Diego that probably cared saying, <laughs> you got to check this out. And a lot of them got involved, called the, you know, the representative that you gave us to call. And, and, and I, I just think, I just was going, thank God this woman's watching this shit. Cause I would have never even known to look at something like that. Yep. 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 We're, we're definitely watching it. So yes. Well, thank you to our sponsors for all your love and support for your excellent products and for your sustainable practices. Thank you to all of you for listening and participating and being the change and being an information Santa Claus and 
getting yourself healthy and vital enough to be a living example to others. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not here to try to sell you on vaccines or not. I'm just here to offer information in my own life experience and the best gifts, uh, guests I can so you can make informed choices. Uh, certainly I share my opinions as uh, Christina and all my guests do, but ultimately at the end of the day, I'm just here to give you more information to make better choices. Um, because we all have to take ownership of our choices. And thanks for anything you buy from the sponsors because a little commission goes to the podcast to support the podcast so I can continue to do the research and the work to find the guests and bring them on and lots of love. And, you know, I'll close by saying let's all dream big together. Let's use the power of our mind to create what we want, not what we don't want. You know, oftentimes fear is false evidence appearing real. Right now is a good time to find good food, find good water, take better care of yourself, slow yourself down a bit, breathe through your belly, start a meditation practice so you learn how to calm your mind and hug as many people as you can and talk to them. Just hug and talk. Remember, if you follow a law that's not lawful, it's criminal. And uh, I look forward to sharing much more with you as always. A whole great spirit. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Christina Hildebrandt. Help educate and advocate for informed choice and transparency of what goes into our bodies by visiting avoiceforchoiceadvocacy.org to sign up for their newsletter or to donate to the nonprofit organization. You can also find Christina and A Voice for Choice on most social media platforms, including Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, BitChute, and Parler at A Voice for Choice. Follow Paul on Instagram and TikTok at paul.check, on Twitter at paulcheck, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living4d with Paul Check. You can also watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com or visit the Czech Institute site at checkinstitute.com to find Paul's e-learning courses, advanced training programs, and learn more about the Czech Academy. You can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcasts.